Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 80, The Dregs of Courage. I'm Scatty and with me is my good friend Matthew. Oh, that is me, Matthew K. Yes. <laughs> In this episode, we are covering the second half of the Mystery Night novella by His Majesty George R. R. Martin. Now, The Mystery Night is the last in a trilogy of short stories that are centered around the characters Duncan Egg. So if you're reading along with us in the Night of the Seven Kingdoms book, which is the compilation of those three novellas, we are reading from the uh, page 298. There's a section break on that page. So from the section break on page 298 until the end of the story, which is the end of the book. Wow. Indeed. Yeah, we made it. That didn't take very long. It doesn't feel like it. Yeah, six six episodes, and we do it every three weeks, so it actually did take us a while. Yeah, and we had that little break thrown in for Christmas. Welcome back, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, it felt like it went super fast. It did indeed. Uh, Should we move to a few announcements? Please. All right, I do this every once in a while. It's been a while since I did it, actually. Uh, But my sister Kelly is a now reasonably famous comic book writer. Uh, she's got some good stuff out there, guys. Check it out. She has been writing Uncanny X-Men, uh, which has been actually like a weekly title for a little bit. Check that out. Uh, it's a good run. And just this past couple weeks, Captain Marvel came out. Uh, Captain Marvel has obviously a movie coming out as well. The series does not tie into it, but is getting crazy good ratings from everybody mm-hmm. in the industry. So uh, go check out Captain Marvel. It's uh, good stuff. So give it a look. I was actually telling my daughter about it, who's a big fan of Kelly's work, and uh, she wants to go to the comic book store tomorrow to use some of her money to buy that Captain Marvel. All right. So, All right. I it hope is that... out, right? It episode, is out. The, fir- the, the first yep. issue is Issue out. number one is out. I hope, yeah. I hope there are copies. Yeah. So we'll go have a look. Go have a look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Uh, let's see. So <laughs> we had some fun and we just wanted to tell you guys about it. So if you want to <laughs> go and check it out after the fact, but we had some fun on Twitter. Uh, I guess it was yesterday for us, which was January 17th. <clears throat> we, uh, we got on the Twitter and just started thinking about, you guys know, I've documented well here, my love for the high school comedy, high school dramedy. Uh, I love those types of shows. Clueless, Can't Hardly Wait, The Breakfast Club. Uh, Easy A, Mean Girls. I love those types of shows. All of them. Um, all of them. John Tucker Must them. Die? How'd you like that one? I do love John Tucker oh, Must you Die. you would. You would. I totally would. <laughs> um, speaking of which, have you watched the Netflix show You with Penn no, Badgley, who's on I John Tucker not. Must Die? He is. I, I, I saw that guy. I'm like, that guy's familiar. And I had to look him up. And then I was like, oh, yeah. John Mayer Jr. is who he is. Yeah. He, he does just look like John just Mayer. like him. Yeah. Um, I started watching that and it sucked me in pretty good. So yeah, I heard it was good. Uh, anyways, so we started putting out these tweets, hashtag Westeros High, talking about some of the different situations uh, people from our favorite characters from Westeros might find themselves in in high school. Um, did you have some favorites, Scad? I'm gosh, I should have had this pulled up. But. There were so many good ones, and you're being far too generous by saying we. We we did this because okay it was unless me. unless you're referring to we the Kalasar because the Kalasar <laughs> frankly you did awesome but the Kalasar carried this thing I mean they were all, like they yes. lifted it up and just rode just it through the entire Dothraki Sea and back again uh, I mean it was let's awesome. see 
here's one that we wrote out that I did. Uh, remember that one time? So I, re- I started all of mine with remember that one time, like we were in high school with these guys. So I said, remember that one time Rob Stark threw the winning touchdown pass to Jon Snow in the championship game against Tyrosh, and Rob got carried off the field on people's shoulders, but Jon was kind of just left there in the end zone? Whatever happened to that kid? Good times. Hashtag Westeros high. I really like um, some of the simple ones. I really like. There was one about uh, about some AP bio notes from from uh, Septon Barth. From, from Septon Barth. <laughs> yeah, uh, I thought yeah. that was really good. Uh, and we're not giving give credit to anyone who wrote these. Sorry, guys, but you did a great job. Uh, there, it's just, just check out hashtag Westeros High if you're on Twitter because I don't know. It probably exceeded 200 tweets. Uh, oh, easy. And yeah. it's pretty hilarious. It's good stuff. Yeah. I mostly sat it out. I was not feeling inspired. I had some interesting stuff going on at work this week, but uh, you guys entertained me during a during an interesting week. It was pretty yeah. great. Remember yeah. that one time Jon Snow hooked up with that girl from that school up north, and then she tried <laughs> yeah. to bring her friends to a party down here, and everyone was super rude to her. Good that times. That was awesome. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and a few people... Uh, I didn't get that. This must be a show reference because uh, I asked people to do Rickon and like three people dove in and they were all talking about running straight or zigzagging or something. Yeah, that's no a idea. show reference. Okay, it's a show, I have no idea what they're thing. talking about. I'm like, all right, yeah. thanks. Thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah. But Don't, anyway. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll see on that one. Yeah. <sighs> Moving yes. on. Okay. Uh, some new ground uh, this episode, Kalasar. She's not with us yet, but a little bit later in the episode, Elena from Ice and Fire Con Small Council will be joining us uh, to talk about Ice and Fire Con and talk a little bit about uh, Duncan Egg for our final Davos After Dark section for these novellas. So uh, look for her a little bit later in the episode. It's coming up. She's She'll be, Matt, our first guest ever, mm-hmm. which is pretty mm-hmm. crazy to think about. It is, yeah. We did have uh, an instance where our friend Beth wrote one of our chapter summaries. Absolutely. But we ended up reading it. Yep. But as far as having the guest on the episode, whew. Yeah. Yep. It only took us 80 80 episodes to get to the point where we were comfortable with it. But here we are. (laughs) Just so much work. (laughs) We're so lazy. We're not lazy. We're creatures of habit. We're stuck in our ways. We're creatures of habit, and we just have our way of doing things, and that's how we do it. We fear change. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyways, and then moving forward, our, we are going to be covering the another novella in the world of Ice and Fire, or in this world of Ice and Fire that George has constructed. We'll be covering The Princess and the Queen, um, which also has some material in uh, the new Fire and Blood book. So we may be drawing from from that as well to kind of yeah. round out the whole story that's told there. So yeah, we'll lean heavily look on Look for that it. coming up next. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say we're going to cover Fire and Blood in these episodes, but we'll lean heavily on that material to kind of, you know, complete the story and talk about the journey. Yeah. Flesh it all out, yep. Absolutely. Yep. Why not? All right. All right, moving on then. Let's get to the podcast. We are spoiler-free until the end of the podcast for a special segment called Davos After Dark. That spoiler-free thing is starting to mean less and less and less, but uh, we will try to not spoil. I don't even know what we're trying to spoil in this episode. But, it's uh, the end of the book. It's yeah. more It's more like stick around for Davos After Dark where we'll do some mindless theories and and uh, exploring of, uh, you know, of 
possibilities and things like that. Stick around. Yeah. It's a fun segment. Beyond, anyway. beyond the written word. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and if you want to, of course, <laughs> we're getting to that point where we are covering new ground, it seems. Every few months, we're covering something kind of different. So if you want to suggest topics for future episodes, if you want to just critique us or ask questions or whatever, you can find us at davosfingers.com. You can email us at wearedavosfingers at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is at davosfingers. As we demonstrated uh, this week, we are on there quite a bit. And you can find and like us on Facebook. And of course, you can learn about our Patreon program at patreon.com slash davosfingers. All right, dude. Let's Let's get to this thing. Okay. It's all you. Section one is me. I've been walking for a thousand miles, wasn't getting anywhere soon. One man die and another tell a lie, it all led me back to you. Dreams and schemes and on our bloodstreams The things that'll carry us through well, I've been waiting on a dream these days Sure didn't think it'd be you well, I've been living in a dream these days It wouldn't be the same without you Alright, Dunka wakes In a dimly lit cellar to the sound of a war drum Nope Not a war drum. It was just the splitting headache that Dunk had. Probably another concussion for our hero, who gets the rundown from the attending maester on what had happened out there on the tourney grounds against Ser Uthor, as we covered in our last episode. Dunk went down hard after taking the snail's lance straight to the dome. The maester had sent the distraught egg off to attend to Dunk's horse and armor to prepare them to be delivered to the victorious Uther. And it had been four hours since, uh, since this had all happened. Dunk's been out for four hours. Despite the maester's dutiful but fairly weak attempts to encourage rest, Dunk can't sit still and takes his leave. Dizzy, the afternoon sun beating down on his throbbing skull, he makes his way across the yard. John the Fiddler had just finished a tilt and was helping his fallen opponent to his feet. Apparently, John's still in it to win it. Uh, Dunk then runs into the dwarves from the party last night. They're packing up to leave, and their mood is as foul as their stench. Dunk briefly considers going with them. Uh, But Kyle the Cat and Maynard Plum, who he encounters next, actually stoke that fire even more, with Maynard suggesting Dunk slip away now. While everyone is focused on the joust, he declares that White Walls right now is not a safe place for the boy. Dunk considers it for the briefest of moments, but decides, as we've come to expect from the Lunk, that it's better to be a beggar than a thief. He prepare, he prefers to keep his honor intact, uh, which means giving up his horse, his armor, and basically his livelihood at that point. So when uh, Plum asks Dunk who he thinks will win the tourney, Dunk thinks for a moment before replying, The Fiddler, whose apparent skill and chivalry were the talk of the tourney. Care to explain your reasoning? Plum asks. I just have a feeling. So do I, replies Maynard, and not a good one. Uh, Dunk's then reuniting with Egg, who he found nervously brushing Thunderbald, 
was a tender one, huh? With the squire wrapping his knight in a tight hug. Dunk rebuffs Egg's suggestions for their future. No borrowing ransom money. No sulking defeated back to Summerhall. And definitely no using the ring. Let's just get this done. Hard things only grow harder if you jack, I mean, put them off. They arrive at Sir Uther's tent, unremarkable from the outside, but Dunk's surprised to find the interior decorated with mirish carpets, a feather bed, and with incense burning. Sir Uther, he finds, counting out gold coins with his squire, who's having trouble recognizing ones that had been shaved, clipped, or showed the likeness of Damon the Pretender, which rendered the coins worthless. Uther is congenial with Dunk, offering wine and compliments. He asks Dunk about his history, and as it turns out, is wholly uninterested in taking Dunk's too large armor and aged horse. It's silver, Uther wants, not steel. You see, Uther is a tourney knight, the best there ever was, according to himself. You've never seen him named champion because he never has been. He's content to stay away from the limelight by finishing in second place. You know, still gives him the sizable prize purse that comes along with finishing in there. And more so, he always has a habit of paying off the tourney master to give him opponents who will give him the best odds at the betting line. So someone like Sir Glendon Ball, who is performing well and claims to have hero's blood, could give him easily two to one odds, he thinks. So it's then that Uthor uh, makes his offer to Dunk. Join Uther's service. Travel with him to tourneys and be his fall guy. Make him look good. Lose on purpose to the smaller underleaf. Betting odds will only go up when they see the diminutive underleaf going up against the giant Sir Duncan. In return, he would allow Dunk to keep his horse and armor, and Dunk would receive a tenth of Uthor's winnings. And, you know, maybe even he would learn a bit about jousting in the process. Well, we can probably guess Dunk's answer. Hard pass. Just take his stuff, and their business will be concluded. Okay, Uther concedes, but then he drops the bomb. Do you know why he went for that headshot, when a shot to the chest is much easier and just as likely to unhorse him? No. Well, he was paid to try to kill Dunk by a hooded man who would not reveal who his master was. And if the sum wasn't so paltry, Uthor may have just carried it out. But why would someone want him killed, Dunk wonders, bewildered? Well, some would say you are the cause of all our woes, Uther answers. He follows tourney results like I follow fantasy hockey, and he knows about the tourney at Ashford when Prince Baylor died while fighting in a trial of seven for a hedge knight. And uh, here's what he said. Prince Baylor was well-loved. That bright prince had friends as well, friends who will not have forgotten the cause of his exile. Think on my offer, sir. The snail may leave a trail of slime behind him, but a little slime will do a man no harm. While, if you dance with dragons, you must expect to burn. And that's where the section ends. And burn he shall. Yeah. 
That Uthor. He uh What do you think of, what do you think of his way of doing things? I love it. It's kind he's, of brilliant, right? He's one of my favorite characters in this whole world. Song of Ice and really? Fire overall. He's really? So, he's just so pragmatic about the whole thing. He's he understands the system. He's got mm-hmm. it completely wrecked. Like he's mm-hmm. got the system completely beat because he mm-hmm. understands it and he's willing to behave in certain channels in certain ways just to make it all happen. Even though I mean he gets screwed in, you know, in this tourney a little bit, but it's not going to wreck him. You can see he's ri- he's rich, right? He's like, doing just fine. He could easily yeah. have a castle, you know, like with servants. I mean, he's he's rich. I I I love I love it. Uh, you know, he's he's a complete a-hole. But but I just I love how he's a guy who had you know, the car, he's a hedge knight. The, the, the odds were stacked against him, too. And by being smart and skilled and putting that together, he's created a world for himself that is basically awesome. Right? He's got what he wants. And he kind of has to be that a-hole, right, that you mentioned. Yeah, a little bit. It there's, plays into the whole thing. There's no way he can, he can continue to get ahead. Uh, by given favors or or even maybe even acting ethically um, yeah. he kind of has to do it this way he kind of reminds me of of my boy braun in that regard oh that yeah a little bit he started out at this low station but by pure cunning and working the system and in in braun's case it's making friends with the right people with right. uthor it's fi- figuring out the right system and how to exploit it um and he's he's made a nice little name for himself yeah you know? With and Braun, it's he... earning favors, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and in Uthor's case, it's paying for favors. Um, <laughs> you know, but... Yeah, I mean, but he had to start somewhere. He had to start just by being skilled in winning jousts, right? Yes, before, before there's obvious can, skill there. Before yeah. you can bribe somebody, you got to get money to bribe somebody. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, he's got some skill. I, I have a little bit of a problem with how this fits into the world. It fits into this one story beautifully. But, you know, he, he's talking about taking Dunk on for 20 tourneys or whatever. The word would get out. I mean, he he contradicts himself. He's like, I may not have been to this tournament, but the, the word got out about the whole trial of seven. As soon as people noticed that the snail was beating everybody and was turning up second or third place every time, the word would be out. I don't think he could really do this for very long. You know, George has, yeah, written, he has... That he, George has written that he has, but people would catch on. Yeah, I don't know. Is there like a... I mean, obviously, there is a way to follow tourney results and everything egg knows all of it right there's not so much a a sports section in the local paper and stuff but you'd think that the it's lords gossip. especially who travel yeah to these different tourneys baylor breaks baylor baylor breaks bear remembered of sir arlen penetry right from forever ago from, yeah. yeah i mean I, I i feel like word would get around it's fine it's a minor quibble i just i, I in my for my head canon i like to think that every once in a while he loses early, bets the farm against himself to make up the difference, and loses early to create to, to maintain the illusion that he's you know, it's a stroke of luck when he wins and goes and, and just has bows a out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Like he goes in and lose to somebody like Dunk on purpose. In twenty of those tourneys that he's proposing, you know, in eight of them he'll actually lose to Dunk. You know, to 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 keep the myth alive that he's you know not this great battler, you know. Mm-hmm. And also, I wonder how many, how often are tourneys being held? You know, there are more of these than you know, is what he says. Apparently, to Dunk. yeah. Apparently, 
So are they small town tourneys where word doesn't get out and yeah, they must be stuff like that. Or, yeah. But if they're that small, there's also not a lot of gold to be had. There's not many to be made. Yeah. So, yeah. which means you've got to do a lot of them to make it worth it. So, but an interesting yeah. lifestyle, right? I mean, he's a knight that has no need to sell his sword. He just mm-hmm. travels around doing these things, and you know, it's pretty great. I mean, he, you know, he could he could get to the point really. I, I wondered like. We're spending a lot of time on this guy. We probably should move on, but he could get to the point where he doesn't even have to joust. He could pay, he could pay the guy in charge for matchups he wants, and then bet on the people he knows and then are just better. Bet, yeah. yeah, and he could he could make a living that way. I mean, the, he's got the whole system gamed. Mm-hmm. He's got to get a better squire, though. Yeah, he can afford that, buddy. Yeah, yeah. I, I did. There, there was a a, a good line in there. Uh, from that squire if it's gold it should be just as good as them other dragons which is which is a metaphor right for you know for the fiddler if if he's if he's a black he should be just as good as these other dragons right mm-hmm. no he's he's a pretender he's fake he's fake gold right yep he's shaved he's clipped let's yeah. talk about let's talk about john a little bit Sure. John the Fiddler Damon? Yes. Hmm. Sure. What do you want to what do you want to talk about? So he's the talk of the tourney right now. I talked about it a little bit in my thing. Um he's obviously he's always been very kind to Dunk. Uh he here we see him actually dismount to help up the beaten Franklin Frey. Um Kyle the Cat and Maynard Plum talk about how uh, he refuses to take ransoms after he wins. He wants, he only wants the dragon's egg and he wants the friendship of his fallen foes. Yeah. He seems like an okay guy. So is he just grooming these people? Uh, or is he, is he actually a pretty good guy? And because he's a good guy, He's being nice to them, and and the grooming is just part of that. What do you think? Uh, well, uh, leaning in on 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 Beth B word, uh, who called him uh, Renly, basically um, in a conversation we were having, I think it was on Twitter, um, mm-hmm. might have been Facebook, but uh, I think uh, making friends comes easily to him. He has that charm and that charisma that that it comes easy to him. But he's also doing it for a reason, uh, and those two things they work together, right? He has a natural charisma about him, and he wants wants friends to stand with him on the battlements, and he knows that by you know by being chivalric to them and gaining them as friends, he will gain them as allies on the battlefield. Robert was Robert was known for that, right? Renly a little less. Robert for sure was known for. Uh, taking enemies and turning them into friends and this is a slightly easier step these are men that are already sympathetic to his cause a little bit um you know that that he's trying to turn into allies right he doesn't have this he doesn't have the sword he doesn't have bitter steel so he's gotta he's gotta do something else to push these people over the edge to support him and i think he knows that but also it's his nature to be this way so it's, it's both i think which is good right sure it's yeah, good. this it's is this whole, whole tourney. This whole tourney is a is is just one big PR stunt, right? 
Yeah. It's, it's cast this guy in as good a light as possible. And you have to overcompensate a little bit because of some of the things that they do not have going for them, namely bitter steel yep. in his endorsement and, uh, and the sword itself, which, you know, seems silly that he just doesn't have a sword BFD. But the fact of the matter is the, the sword Blackfire is a very symbolic piece and uh, not having that is, is a big deal. So. Yeah. It is, and yeah, they're missing. Yeah, they're missing that. They and well, I guess we'll get to that later. But you know, they're missing. They're missing more than just that. A little bit later in this story, right? So, yeah, they've got they've got a lot of over overcompensating to do to make this happen. At the same time, I think we maybe we covered it already. You know, the the time is pretty good for this. Maybe it's coming up. I don't remember, <laughs> but the timing is pretty good for this if you look yes. at it from a certain perspective, uh, and so. You know, you can kind of see it from from Peak's perspective and from and from Damon's perspective that this might be a good idea, right? Right. But did knowing the timing is right force them to rush? And perhaps and yeah. try to do so without some of those variables that would have been helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, what else stuck out to you here? Uh, this Maester. I just want to talk about him for a minute. Uh, first of all, men knocking other men off horses with sticks. Mm-hmm. It's called a lance. Hello. Hello. It's from your movie. <laughs> that is from my uh, movie. But, a knight's uh, tale. A knight's tale, yeah. Um, but he he also knows a lot about this. So he's one of those guys, he's like all curmudgeonly and angry about the fact that they're doing this to each other. And yet Dunk asks him for details and he knows all of them. He's like, he's like embarrassed that he's infatuated with the jousting and the tourney, right? He knows the results. Every result Dunk asks him about, he knows. It's like he's secretly in love with this whole lifestyle. He probably is. And the, and the sucky thing for him is that uh, he can't just enjoy it like everyone no, else. No, he's He's got to, he's got to work. And uh, I, you know, <laughs> I love it too. I yeah. put that down as a note, and uh, I think about like doctors and how they might look at sports these days too, like the hockey yes. players out there just banging a puck around and giving each other concussions. But at and the same they time, probably love it. Yeah, they 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 get a front row seat to the game and stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, uh, at least Dunk broke his lance this time in that in that ride. And Jeez. you know, his opponent was really good. That's all. He might have won if he was, you know, going against somebody else. I'd like to think so, but everything not... was setting us up not to believe that, though. Right. Leading yeah. up to that, like Hag being the voice of reason. But but then but then part of the thing about Dunk, and I think we talked about this. Uh, a little bit at length in the Sorn Sword is the fact that he's so underqualified to do things, but he always pulls it off somehow in the end. And so yeah. when he goes into a situation like this, it's like, okay, well, maybe he, maybe he will do all right. You know, he just needs to win a match or two. He dunks a dunks a capable guy physically. He could pull this off. But then you, after the fact, in hindsight, you're like, well, yeah, he hasn't jousted at all since yeah. Ashford when he didn't actually joust anyways. Yes. He, he went down one time uh, and it was it was for realsies. It wasn't yeah. an actual tourney joust. 
And he got um, knocked on his ass. And he got knocked right off first pass. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he's only done a little bit of uh, training here and there when he can. Like, no wonder he lost. <laughs> he's just not very good at it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a note uh, after when we get to the Sept scene. I'll, I'll save it for then. But just talking about what he's good at and capable of. And uh, I'll save that for them. But yeah, I, I you know, I don't think jousting is really for him. But uh, smelled I, like I a think... privy. Did you, did you pick it up on first on first read? Oh heck no! Yeah, no, I didn't pick it up at all. Yeah, yeah, because he he does note it that there was even yep. a privy shaft uh, adjoining the master bedroom or whatever. Yeah, uh, going back and reading. <laughs> It's yeah. just perfectly mapped out for us. Yeah. Down down to the fact, down to the fact that what do the dwarves travel in? A large wheeled wooden pig. <laughs> it's like a Trojan horse. Yes. We had a large badger. Large, a large wooden, wooden badger. badger, right? The Trojan horse infiltrating the castle in secret, right? Then this you, one's a wooden Lancelot pig. Lancelot and I jump out of the rabbit. You, Lancelot and Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> what happens now? Well, now, uh, Lancelot, uh, Galahad, and I uh, wait until nightfall and then leap out of the rabbit, uh, taking the French uh, by surprise. And not only by surprise, but totally alarmed. Who leaps out? Uh, Lancelot, Galahad, and I uh, leap out of the rabbit uh, and... Uh, oh... All right, there Chase, go. look out for that one. Yeah, I was going to say Chase. There's the new Monty Python reference. I feel like it's been a while since we had one. It has been. Yeah. yeah. For those of you who, who aren't aware on Twitter, we've got one of our, our most loyal and beloved Blood Riders, Chase. He's going back through and listening to all our episodes again and is letting us know every time a Monty Python reference comes up. I think we're up to eight. Yeah, which in our yeah our early episodes, they're much yeah. more frequent. It's on like episode 26 or something. Anyways, a large wooden pig. Large wooden pig. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's uh, it's all there about the dwarves, right? Yeah, it's all there. It's all there. To, it's all there to pick up. I did not. <laughs> nope. Absolutely not. So uh, we've got uh, Maynard, you know, offering Dunk a path again, and uh, Dunk's honor. Getting in the way. Good choice, mm-hmm. bad choice. What do you think? There's something to be said about peace of mind. Yeah. Right? And yep. what Dunk's worried about is having to, like, kind of almost be on the run for the rest of his career. That's part of it, right? Yep. He ran off and he's going to have to keep running. The fact of the matter is, is he that important that people are going to chase him down for the rest of his life? Probably not. I mean, more so for the fact that he's actually hiding a Targaryen prince than than getting his armor and his horse. Um, But there is something to be said, I, I suppose, for being able to sleep at night. Yeah. Uh, So, so in that sense, yes, good choice. But, if he's unwilling to go back to Summer Hall, which is a very viable plan B, and work for Prince Makar, 
And I get why he doesn't want to do it. You go right. back there in defeat and you have to admit that you made the wrong choice by doing this, that his grand plan to teach egg stuff didn't end up working out. But if you're not willing to do that, then what are you going to do? Yeah, you're going to go join the gold cloaks, which is one of the things he talks about. And yep. you know, I don't know how much money those people make. Is it a is it a feasible life option that he was like, all right, here's my arms and armor. Go join the city watch for two years, and I'll have enough money to have a horse and armor, and I'll go back on the road again. And you'll hit. The or road is again. it like I don't know? He'll never get that en- enough money to save up to buy a horse. Good question. Like that I might be know. one of those careers in this world where it's like, no, you're in there for life. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine maybe it's it's similar to a, a law enforcement officer in in uh, in our world. Yeah, that you can make a living, but you're not gonna go on lavish vacations and. I get the impression those in law, you can tell me because you know, uh, I get the impression those in law enforcement rarely, I don't want to use the term get out, but like choose to take a different path. Like once they're in, I think they kind of, I don't know, like the lifestyle and, right? It, feel, it feels that way to me. Is there a lot of turnover in law enforcement? I wouldn't say a lot, but there's a, there's a fair enough amount. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you kind of have to be, in my opinion, having grown up around these people my whole life, my father, my sister, and then being involved with all the others throughout my life. Um, you have to be wired a little bit differently. <laughs> but also, though, like... I'm not saying in a bad way. But but, but also, though, I, I think, like, unlo- you know, the job I'm in, I don't, I, don't, I don't get a huge sense of community from my work. I feel like with law enforcement and with the gold cloaks, you know, if, if we're equating them, and you did that, not me, but if we're equating them, then... It's like th- there's a, a huge sense of fraternity and brotherhood in that, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I imagine you kind of just you soak in that a little bit and yep. stay. I think stay that's in a it. big part of it. I think yeah. that's a big part of it is is uh, that sense of community and having each other's back and stuff. Yeah, for for sure. So, or if he didn't go to the gold cloaks, he could be part of this dwarf troop, maybe. Which, yeah. Which rings his idea is that they could run around hitting him with the pig splatter. Which... It, re- it reminded me of Tyrion's Bear and the Maiden Fair idea. Yeah, Jorah. Uh-huh. With Jorah, yeah. Yeah, which is, I mean, that just shows you how desperate the situation would be. Yes. I mean, I can't think of a more humiliating line of work. Uh, well, with the to, way that dwarves dunk... are viewed in society and things like that. To dunk losing on purpose in tourneys, I think, would be worse. To him, yes. Yeah. Because yeah. he rejects that outright. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You want to talk about this uh, egg scene where he's trying to convince Dunk to go to go back with his tail between his legs? It's a little heartbreaking. Yeah. Why, why do so you bad. why do you find it heartbreaking? Well, just Egg wants him so bad to to have success and to get his arms back and to, for them to be able to continue this life. Like it's it's very clear Egg is getting something out of Dunk's companionship uh, and this lifestyle that they have that he feels like he needs, right? And he even says that. Is that during this conversation or later? Where, I don't want a proper master of arms. I want you. Yeah, yeah. He says that. Yeah, in this conversation. I want you. That's Which so I feel sweet. like that's. I feel like there's a, a very similar sentiment in several movies. 
I don't want what's right. I want you. You mm-hmm. know, that the whole kind of concept. Yeah. But it's very I don't sweet. know. I just I feel for Egg a little bit. This is an interesting story for Egg because he spends so much of it missing. Um, mm-hmm. And yet uh, it's a, a story almost as much about his growth as anything else. Yeah, absolutely. And really, it, it's it's one that really drives home the relationship that the two of them have. Yeah. Um, particularly Dunk's uh, affectionate feelings for Egg. That yeah. really comes to a head yeah. in the third act of the story, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, for sure. Except. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you want to move on to sure. section two? Move on. It's called a lance. Hello. It's called a lance. Hello. All right. Here we go. The well. Dunk emerges from Sir Uther's tent to find Egg. Or to not find Egg, actually. He's missing. He's not back at the tent with his books either. And Dunk's spidey senses start to kick in. There's something wrong here. He leaves word with two knights that if they see him return he is to stay put on his way to check the lists dunk runs into sir glendon who is taking care of his new horse who he won from lord costain lord costain doesn't believe glendon's claim and hasn't been shy about saying so it seems no one here really is quick to believe sir glendon who is more sad than angry about this treatment seems he really expected to be welcomed in by these knights once he could prove himself in the lists but it hasn't gone that way at all not by a long shot Dunk's heart goes out to Ball, whom he considers a bit of a kindred spirit, and he offers him to travel with them to the north when this thing is all over. Glendon bristles at that thought, though, insisting that he will be claiming his father's seat on the King's Guard. <sighs> Give him a few years. Give him a few years. Anyway, Ball stops Dunk as he is leaving and informs him that Gorman Peak offered him a place in his castle if he were to take a fall in his upcoming joust against the Fiddler, that a storm was coming, and that Gorman needed loyal men. Ball, of course, much like Dunk, could not take those terms, and then Peek threatened him and warned him that he has no friends here, to which Dunk countered, You have two. As Dunk finally makes it to the list, he sees Tomard Heddle, making short work of his opponent. Tomard is huge, his horse as well, and as he removes his demonic helm, Dunk notes that it is the same man from the bedchamber the night of the betting that had glowered at him for touching the dragon's egg, and the same man that had spoken with Gorman Peak on the balcony while he was holding in his piss. But there is still no sign of egg anywhere. Butterwell and Frey were also not in their places. Hmm. Curiouser and curiouser. He watches the ox bulwer fall to the cagey underleaf and wonders where egg could be, wondering if the same man who had paid for his head had perhaps taken egg as well. Dunk seats out the fiddler, thinking perhaps he could unravel the egg mystery. At his entrance, Cockshaw spits up wine, wondering how he is still alive. Steely Pate made a good strong helm, my lord. And my head is hard as stone, Sir Arlen used to say. The fiddler puts Cockshaw in his place with some choice insults and agrees to a word with Dunk, heading to his own pavilion. He offers him a horse, better than thunder, and shows all the bravado of a man about to win the world as he continues to woo Dunk toward his cause. But Dunk brings it around to his task, bullheaded as ever. He is missing his squire. Fiddler offers to have his men look for them. Or look for him, rather. You were no hedge knight. No, but you knew that from the start. You've been calling me my lord since we met on the road. The Fiddler is playing coy with his actual name, but you get the sense he badly wants to tell Dunk, who notices his purple eyes for the first time. 
Gorman Peak enters at just that moment, interrupting the escalating flirting or affair or discussion. The fiddler is called to joust, but Gorman stays, and Dunk asks him point-blank how much he had to pay to buy Sir Galtry Green, the fiddler's next appointment, to fall for him. Gorman Peak threatens Dunk's life, too. Seems he makes a bit of habit of this, but he says his grace will take it ill if Duncan is actually killed. His grace. Ugh. This didn't go well for Dunk last time. But he wonders aloud, why this wedding? Well, at that, Lord Gorman reveals it all. The wedding is merely a pretext, an occasion to gather those willing to support a rebellion to one place. Those that previously fought for the Blacks, most, mo the Blackfires, mostly no longer have hostage hostages with the throne due to the spring sickness, and many others have new grievances against the crown. Ares is a weak ruler with little support save for Bloodraven, whom no one likes anyway. The time is ripe for a rebellion, and if the prince hatches a dragon egg, everyone will flock to their cause. Dunk is told not to leave the castle on penalty of his life. At the lists, the fiddler makes, takes down Galtry the Green after nine tilts as Dunk sees lightning in the distance. As the next match is announced, pitting Uthor Underleaf against Sir Tomard Heddle, a match Uthor had not anticipated, Lord Gorman mounts the platform and declares that the dragon's egg has been stolen and immediately implicates Glendon Ball as the culprit. Men swarm Ball as he tries to defend himself, insisting that he was about to win the egg. Why would he steal it? Before Junk can jump to action, Cockshaw tells him he might know where Egg is and leads him away from the accused. Alan Cockshaw gets his own little villain monologue. His a much sadder and more desperate case of a man replaced, perhaps a love rebuked. He had been childhood friends with Damon and wept when he left. He sees Dunk as a threat to his place in the pecking order, a threat to his place by Diamond's side, and the threat he means to remove. Dunk is ushered to the center of town, which is all shuttered up as everyone is out at the tilts. There's a well there, and Alan nudges the swordless Dunk ever closer to it with his knife. Will you jump or must I prick you? Dunk wrestles with a loose stone on the ring of the well as Alan lunges, his dagger catching Dunk's shield arm. But Dunk has the stone now and beats Sir Alan in the face with it, then breaks his wrist and sends him down the well. Well done, sir, says Sir Maynard from behind him. I see what you did there, Maynard. Well done? <laughs> Maynard helps him back to Dunk's tent to get his arm bandaged up, leaving Alan Cockshaw to drown, meanwhile teasing out cryptically some of the remaining plots to this little mystery. The Fiddler is, in fact, Damon Blackfire's son, Damon II, if this plot were to succeed, that is. Egg is with the gods, magic finger quotes, causing Dunk to despair, and that Butterwell and Frey have likely been made aware of his presence and have started to wonder if Bloodraven in fact knows what is going on. They clean out Dunk's wound, and after once more indicating that Egg is, again, quote-unquote, with the gods, Dunk loses it and grips Maynard about the throat, indicating that he should speak plain. The Sept! You would do well to go armed. So he does, stopping by Uther's tent to intimidate his squire and steal back his arms before heading to the Sept. And that's the end of the section. A lively section! A lively section. And see, that's where uh, Dunk is willing to abandon his honor, at least for a second, when Egg is at stake. Yes. And I love that about him. You mean by almost murdering another noble? Uh, another, uh, another knight, I guess? Just by going back and getting his armor and stuff. Oh, that. Oh, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. Well, there's other things, too. But, yeah, he, he uh, you're talking about Alan Cockshaw. 
uh, no, no, when he grabbed him about the throat, like, I'm not messing around oh, telling yeah. where Egg is. Yeah. Yeah. This guy that just helped him, like, maybe saved his life from blood loss, and he's threatening his life now. There's still a chance to save Han! Yeah. Han! Not Han! <laughs> Han! Han! Um, but just, you know, he makes this big deal about how the armor's not mine anymore, I gotta give it up, that's yeah. just what you do, and then the minute Egg's in trouble, nope. Going yeah. back to get it. A small thing, and you'd expect him to do it, but uh, it really shows that, again, that affection that he has for Egg and how important he is to him. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, for sure. He's just borrowing it. It'll be fine. Yeah. It's fine. We'll give it's it back fine. after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, at the top of this chapter, there's a little bit where, where Egg is looking for, uh, or where Dunk is looking for Egg and not finding him back at their tent. And uh, he interrupts these two knights that are talking. And one of them mm-hmm. says, bugger that, once was enough for me. The grass was green when the sun come up, aye. And then he I interrupts made that them. note too, yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's just another little, uh, it's just another little tease. If you're really like keeping score when you're reading, it's clear how this is going to go even now. Yeah. These two knights already, before anything has really gone sour, these two knights are already like, no fucking way. I'm not. Yeah, no way. I'm not doing this. I'm not. I'm not going to participate in this. The, any sort of rebellion. Well, it also Sun shows may have been how green when it came. The grass was green when it came up, but it was red by the end of the day. I'm not. I'm not willing to do that. This isn't happening again. Yeah. Uh, slight correction is that they're not knights. It says that they're men at arms. Oh, and men at arms. Thank you. So I, it's not a huge deal, but it maybe goes to show that this is not. If they're trying to keep it a secret from everybody mm. except the most <laughs> good point. involved lords, they're not doing a very good job. Like even people know, even down yeah. to the men at arms who are not even more than squires, really. Yeah, uh, know what's going on here. Yeah, good point. Thanks for correcting me. That's an important distinction. Ah, <sighs> uh, good job on George. Uh, needed a villain in a pinch. And he made one in a paragraph. Tomard Heddle, right? Mm-hmm. Don't know a thing about this guy. And he paints him up on a horse in a demonic helm, and all of a sudden you have a villain. One paragraph it took him. Amazing. And that'll be huge going forward. In what way? Uh, he's going to kill him in just a little bit. Oh, yeah. And he does end up being quite the villain. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but it, but you know what I mean? Like It's almost like he just forgot. He's like, oh, shit, I need someone for him to fight the Sept. Here we right. go. I'll write this. Here he is. Yeah. That guy, yeah. He'd be perfect. Yeah. The it's guy funny. who I described in the earlier. I mean, you know, he sets him up. Yeah, he sets him up a little bit, but mm-hmm. you don't get much from him until that. It's a little late to introduce all these details about this guy, I guess, is all I'm really getting at. Sure. But, but there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Heddle, of course, reminds us of old Masha. I just want an excuse to, <laughs> to bring in to, the crossroads. To remind me of red teeth and yeah. frothy, frothy corners of lips. Yeah, corners just of to, mouth. And just to play our favorite song oh, one more time. Yeah, but ye old the, the Heddle family lives on. <laughs> yeah. But so they're not like a major house or anything. The Heddles. Well, maybe they were until this. It seems like I looked it up and there wasn't much there. Uh, maybe I didn't read into it. 
I mean, it is possible enough. for people to share names too. Maybe it's a completely unreal. I mean, it's not like George to do that, but maybe they're unrelated. It could be. Yeah, there's not even a house heddle. Oh wait, yeah, there is. Isn't he a bastard though? Ah, house heddle was once a noble house of landed knights. So they were a house of landed knights in the Riverlands. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Long John Heddle. I'm just looking at the wiki now. I should have looked at this before. But uh, he's the one that uh, they talk about. I can't remember what book it is. Maybe Feast for Crows, who put up the black dragon sign yeah, outside yeah. the inn and got mm. torn down, hacked to pieces and everything and all that stuff. Yeah, I remember now. Okay. Yeah, yeah so Tom, together. Tom is a descendant of that. But I was just wondering, like, he's uh, Lord Butterwell's son-in-law. And it made me wonder why Lord Butterwell would agree. Butterwell's a fairly, at this point, wealthy house and stuff. Why he would agree to marry his daughter to a heddle. Yeah. And then we see later how intimidating heddle can be and how he's kind of got Lord Butterwell under his thumb a little bit. Yes. And maybe that played a part of it. I don't know. But Yeah, I mean, you get the sense that had anyone just suggested it, you know, with their sword slightly half out of its sheath, Butterwell would have caved. Okay, okay. Sounds... I mean, Tom or himself could have just rode up to the gates and said, hey, I'm doing this. And he'd been like, uh, all right. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a craven for sure, that guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a great line later about it. We'll save it. Uh, man, this Glendon Ball. I feel for this kid. I really do. He's such a punk. He drives you up the wall, but yeah, you just feel for him. I don't. I don't think he is a punk. I think he's kind of a punk. I mean, he's he's uh, he's arrogant. Mm-hmm. I'm arrogant, so may, maybe maybe I just forgive that easier than I forgive other things. I, I mean, I'm much I'm much less arrogant. I'm much less apt to forgive stupidity than I am arrogance. I'll forgive somebody <laughs> that's arrogant. Um, but which is a fault of mine. I, I'm not saying it like it's a good thing, but uh, I I just feel bad for him. Oh, I he's, do too. I don't know. He's just trying to make a name for himself. But it, but it, and... it's more than that, though. It's not even. He's not trying to make a name for himself. He's cl- trying to claim a name that already exists. Okay. But it's a name that he thinks he deserves. Uh-huh. truly believes it and and more than that well i don't know i don't know if he would take their appreciation if they didn't if it didn't come along with the name he probably wouldn't but like he feels now like he's earned it and he gets him nothing he's won all these tilts it gets mm-hmm. him nothing he's done everything that he was supposed to do and that he yeah. can do yeah yep and the and, and the sad tragic thing about all this is obviously the egg was never up to be one in the first place. We're finding all this out that yeah, it was all a setup and no one was going to come out of nowhere and win this egg. Like it just, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. But had he won the egg and triumphed at the end of the day, I'm not convinced anything would really change for him. No, probably not. He would still be looked down upon as the knight of the pussy willows. And... 
you know, maybe he can go on and make a name for himself as a tourney knight. And maybe there's a lord out there who would take him into his service. But sure. He's, he's got he's as good gonna... a shot as anybody else. But this isn't. It's, I don't think it's going to help him a lot. He's not going to get a white cloak or something like that. Yeah. We'll come back to that. Yes. I would like to talk about Glendon's future. Yeah. Um, yeah. I because because dunks met some good ones he says and yeah i want to believe that ball could find one of those good ones mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know why i got a soft spot for the kid i do um, you should i think we're meant to yeah i i mean i i think we are and you know one reason i think we are because dunk does mm-hmm. and i don't think dunk dunk makes this offer to let him come with them right to the let him come with he and egg to the north I don't get the impression Dunk lets a lot of people travel with him. He doesn't. Eat eat and hang out, you know, and share news mm-hmm. and stuff. Okay. But they're a pair. I don't think they're traveling with people a lot. Yep. I totally agree. Part of that's to protect the secret. Yeah. Of egg. Yep. You know. Keep people at a distance and they're they're not gonna pick up on any anything, any hints or something. Yeah. Um it's interesting, yeah, though, so if, he be- it. if he believes that Ball is who he says he is, Ball would be a natural enemy to Egg if he did He's ever find not out. not someone, yeah. <laughs> so it's not somebody that he should have around him. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, interesting. Uh. Um, you know, I, I keep reading about Gorman Peak, and I think of him as like this kind of like older chubby guy, but he's not at all. He's like... I don't know. I don't know how I got the wrong impression about him. He's like a fit. He was like one of the best warriors of his time. Like he's a Gorman Peak is a he's a dude. Yeah, we talked about it. Uh, that what's his name from Sworn Sword? Swan Gosh, Sword. Swan Sword. Uh, the guy's name just completely left my mind. Mustache. Oh, Sir Eustace Osgrave. Eustace Osgrave. Yeah, him. <laughs> Mustache is the only yeah. feature I could think of. Uh, talks about how Gorman Peak was one of the best ever. You know what? I yeah. I know where I get it from. There's an illustration on page 285 of Gorman Peak, and he's a stout, short guy. I wonder if the artist got it wrong or whether age has just really gotten the better of this guy. You know, yeah, he's been off the battlefield for a while. Maybe yeah. things have happened. Anyway... In his oh, day, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. I mean, he's he's a stout little fella. That's more than just been off the battlefield for a few years. That's you know, that's scad levels have been off the battlefield. It's for, really letting yeah. yourself go, right? Uh, <laughs> man, the fiddler. Can we talk about fiddler again? Always. This guy is. No, you know what? We'll save it. We'll save it for. I know we got a question, Davos after dark coming up, but I want to talk about it there, uh, about because uh, I think it affects you know him as a ruler kind of thing. Okay. So we'll leave it. Um, what else you got? You got other things? Other things here? I don't have a lot here. Obviously, we're going to talk about Maynard Plum a little later. Um, what's yeah. going on there? Uh, but no. Because that's a huge moment that we really haven't talked about. Which? The the, the well scene with Alan Cockshaw and yeah. Maynard showing up. Yeah, we can talk about that. 
Um, but I don't know. That's what I'm saying. As I don't know what else to really talk about. It happened. Uh, we got a nice villain monologue, as you brought up. We did, and uh, you know, you have a little again, a little pity for Alan. I do, at least. I mean, he's a yeah. scumbag, but he's in love, I think, and you know. Yeah, I. I mean, Scad, I love you, buddy. But I don't see myself like throwing someone down a well just because they became better friends with you than me. Yeah. Right. There's yep. got to be deeper feelings involved. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Would you think? So yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, on on the well, there's not much to say. Good job, Dunk. Uh, mm-hmm. Got a nice grip on that stone and used it. Fed it to him. Um, Doing things the Dunk way. Yeah. Pick up one of those rocks. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Pick up one of those rocks. <laughs> when his head is in view, hit it with a rock. <laughs> My way's not very sportsmanlike. Yeah, <laughs> that's how Dunk rolls, right? In yeah. the end, we're gonna see that in this very next section. Yeah, Dunk's way is not very sportsmanlike. Uh, yeah, but he is. He's he's just got a style all his own. Yep, well, he's willing to basically just be stabbed in his arm to win this yep. fight. Yep. I mean, I don't know that he could have stopped it, but I don't know. I mean, he says at one point like he's going to need more than that toy knife to stop me. Uh huh. Like, okay, but you're going to get stabbed once. Right. <laughs> like, he's I don't like, think that bothers him. He's just like, well, eh. then I get stabbed. <laughs> yeah. The end result means he's dead, and I'm not. Okay, yeah. we're good yep. then. Yeah. Why do you think? Uh, I'll, I'll I'll ask one thing kind of related to the well. Why do you think Maynard was kind of toying with him a little bit? Instead of just, this is where he is, go get him. And just doing it? He's with the gods and kind of teasing the information out. Why do you think? Do you have any... I can't say I thought about that before. The thing that immediately came to mind, whether it's valid or not, is that... He... Alan is being held back. He doesn't want to kill Dunk. He doesn't want to go to that level. So he's kind of almost putting it off a little bit and trying to convince himself to go through with it and actually end Dunk. I'm asking Um, about Maynard. I'm sorry. Why didn't Maynard just, once once Alan's down the well, why didn't Maynard Uh just be like, he's at the sept, go. Or, you know, let's take care of your arm quickly, but he's at the sept. We have to take care of your arm first. What? Why is he teasing him with it? He's with the gods, making him believe mm-hmm. that he could be dead. Right? right. You know, I did think about that a little bit, and then I didn't think about it anymore. <laughs> I do remember thinking about that now, being like, what in the world? Well, I'm, I only have two but, theories. Um. Okay. One is that even though he doesn't know him very well, he knows him well enough to know that if he tells him exactly where he is, he's not going to let him fix his arm first. And he thinks he needs his arm. So more pragmatic reason. Sure. And then the other reason is that he's trying to gauge just how, just, just what kind of a guy Dunk is and how much he cares about Egg. To, That's to what weigh, my mind went to. Yeah, yeah to, to weigh the decision maker is made. And how much he really trusts this guy to be taking care of his nephew, whom I think, we'll talk about this probably later too, but whom I think he sees a lot of potential in. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and should he trust him? He's kind yep. of testing him a little bit. Yep. Uh, that's the first thing that came to my mind is still kind of feeling him out a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Um, shall we move on? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Let's do it. Okay. So Dunk arrives at the castle set, his familiar longsword strapped at his side, and his wounded arm aching under the weight of his less familiar pine shield. He enters and is relieved to find Egg, just as Maynard Plum said he would, but in the company of two men-at-arms and Lord Butterwell himself. Butterwell is fumbling, panicky, swearing he's done the boy no harm, and that it was Gorman Peak and Tom Heddle who were behind the plot to bring the boy pretender over to Westeros, and that he himself never wanted any part in treason, painting himself almost as a victim who was forced to play a part. Bullcrap! Anyways, pulling Egg aside, Dunk gets the story. Egg had slipped away uh, when Dunk lost him the first time. Egg had slipped away to send a raven to his father. No doubt to ask for help in Dunk maintaining his possessions and dignity after the loss to Sir Uther. However, as soon as he presented his ring to the maester, he was taken to Lord Butterwell. Choosing to be frightening rather than frightened, which to this reader is quite the choice for a ten-year-old, Egg claimed he and Dunk were sent to White Walls to spy and that Prince Makar was on his way with an army. As we can see by the way Butterwell's acting right now, Dunk's uh, fib worked beautifully. It's then that the sept doors burst open, revealing an armored, tomered heddle, flanked by a dozen men-at-arms. As his eyes rest on young Egg, he commands the men to seize him, meaning to take him hostage. Butterwell countermands the orders, and with the men unsure what to do, Tom draws his sword, meaning to take Egg himself. Dunk steps in, as you'd imagine he do, he'd do, warning Tom that he is notably better with a sword than with a lance, which isn't difficult, as we've already talked about. <laughs> the fighting begins with an enraged charge from Tom, and Dunk actually finds himself, as sometimes we find Dunk, at mm -hmm. a disadvantage as the blows of his opponent's sword against his shield send almost crippling pain up Dunk's arm. Waves of dizziness, tears of pain, the taste of blood in his mouth. Eggs cries to get him, get him, he's right there. All bombard his senses as Tom presses the attack. Finally, Dunk summons the strength to go all King's Landing street fight again, slamming shield first into Tom, knocking him off balance. His next, his next slice strikes muscle on Tom's leg, and another severs his arm. I told you, I'm better with a sword, Dunk finishes as he stabs Tom through the throat. Confusion follows, with Butterwell concluding that they must flee White Walls now before Gormy Peak discovers his co-conspirator is dead and takes drastic measures. Dunk commands Egg to go with Butterwell uh, in fleeing the castle, but to then flee himself as soon as he can and make his way to Maidenpool, which is closer than King's Landing. Dunk will work something out then. Dunk, for his part, heads back to the still-full Great Hall. Remember, he's just gone through this big fight, his arm is bleeding, everything. But there, amongst the remaining lords, he calls out, your grace, 
Damon to John the Fiddler, as we'll call him now, Jamin, clad in purple to match his eyes, does not attempt to correct Dunk as he politely asks, what do you want with me? Justice for Glendon Ball, Dunk replies, who we find had been imprisoned in the dungeons. Everyone saw Glendon riding tilt after tilt in the yard all day, Dunk argues. How could he have stolen the egg? I get it, Damon counters. But how come Lord Peak found the egg amongst his uh, possessions? Bah, Dunk says. Gorman planted it there. Have him show it to you and you'll see how fake it is. Peak knew Ball was the only thing standing between Dunk and Vic- or Damon and Victory, and this was the only sure way to remove him, as he was not losing, and he was not going to accept bribes. Jamin seems genuinely shocked by these claims, and he orders that both Ball and the Egg be brought to him. Despite protestations from Peak, Jamin announces he will settle this as his father would by meeting Glendon on the field of battle to let the gods determine guilt and innocence by strength of arms. And that ends the uh, third act here. You got to have the big fight scene in a Dunkin' Egg story, right? Yeah. Yep. Always happens during the third act. We're starting to see a pattern here. Mm -hmm. And uh, here we go. Yeah, although you, you you might argue that was the well, no, it's probably the third act. I'm I'm calling them, you know, I'm just calling them third act because we're no, you're right. We divided up is, into four sections. The rest of this <laughs> so is I really four kind acts. of if you're yeah, if you're follow if you're if you are really following along closely, the rest of this is kind of falling action, really. Right. Yes. Um, but you know the the reader doesn't maybe know it really yet, but um. Yeah, a good a good fight scene. You know, it's weird. I, Dunk, he's not a good fighter. He's just big. Not in the traditional sense. Yeah. I mean, I love his fighting style. We've said that in previous episodes. I love his fighting style mm-hmm. because it's just so raw, in some ways. But he's not getting any better. He's always it's, losing. It's become get overcome, then just fight back when Egg tells you to. With your shield. It's always his shield that he bashes people back with. Yeah. Right? And then when they're overcome with exhaustion and, you know, being beaten a little bit in the, about the head and shoulders, he stabs them or something, right? He does his thing. He always pulls it off. Yeah. Looking back, he beat uh, Arion Brightflame, as you said, Scad. He beats him with his shield. Yeah. Bashes his, bashes his face in with it. The long inch. The battle at the at the river. He bowls into him with his shield. Mm-hmm. Tom Heddle bowls into him with his shield. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, as you said, Dunk's orders. He's right there. Uh, Dun- Egg, Egg's orders. Excuse me. Egg says that in all three novellas. Yes. Although the first uh, was not in regard to Dunk fighting. It's um, when they're just yes. watching tilts. It's when wa- Humphrey Hardy was facing yeah. Bright Flame. Yeah. Uh, yes, but yeah, we're seeing those similarities there. But you're right; he he always ends up in beginning the disadvantage, and and then he pulls it off by strength of arm and strength of will. I mean, like this is not a guy that belongs in the Kingsguard, right? Like, I hope he gets better. 
Well, we know he beats, uh, what's his name? Lionel yes. Baratheon the later Storm, on. My favorite nickname or one of them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in a, in a trial by combat and he beats him. Although he's so, got to be near 60 by that point. The laughing right. storm. No, I mean, right. Yeah. He'd be older. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, you'd like to think he gets better. We also know that Dunk plays a part in later Blackfire rebellions, and yep, and does what? It's the fourth Blackfire rebellion, I think, where he. No, he always lives. Yeah, I shouldn't yeah. say he's a bad fighter. He always seems to live, but. I'm man, saying his, that he maybe gets better reckless. as he gets into the King's Guard. He starts maybe taking his training a little more seriously because I, I think that maybe Dunk relies some... on his size. Yeah, he relies on his size. And... Yeah. We don't really know how well Arlen drained him, mm-hmm. right? We know Arlen was a passable knight, but, yeah. Well, I think he didn't train him very well. <laughs> yeah. 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 Who's got the time to make a parallel to today's society? Who's got the time to invest in those kinds of things when you're just in the rat race all the time, right? Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, let me get this straight. The plan after the egg was stolen, because it was really stolen, was to pretend a rock was the egg. Mm-hmm. Even after the Fiddler had won it? Things are unraveling fast here. I'm not sure we're all like paying attention, because yeah. their plan is to pretend that the egg is, a, is that a rock is an egg. The Fiddler's going to figure that out. Yeah, there's this 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 whole rebellion is just <laughs> it's coming apart at the seams, man. Right, things and are unraveling fast now. Like we said, we get that the timing is good, far. but <laughs> I forgot that the poor rug. Mm-hmm. I get that you know the timing was right, but come on, guys, come yeah. on. <clears throat> was the egg having the painted egg just meant to buy them some time until they could find the real egg again? Yeah, perhaps. Because that's also a big part that the actual egg is a big part of this with the hatching dragon. Huge. Right? Yeah. Um yeah. winning Fire the egg is really secondary, but they really need to hatch that thing. Yeah. To add legitimacy to Aegon's or Aegon. Daemon's claim. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I got another problem with this. Why is the fiddler volunteering to fight Ball when he has nothing to do with the claim of theft? Yeah, Gor- Gorman Peak should be fighting him or nominating someone to fight him, mm-hmm. right? But the, yep. it almost feels like the fiddler is jumping up to defend against Dunk's claim, right? That his opponents were bought. Seems like he wants to almost. Yeah, he, he, needs, he yeah he's, he's super conflicted right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a little and bit I, of betrayal there. Yeah, and I do but, like that about him. Like he's confronted with this, and instead mm-hmm. of running from it and just saying, "Ah, oh, you don't know what you're talking about," he's like, "No, I'll prove it. I'll prove it right now." He's putting his money where his mouth is. Yeah, and and maybe a little bit of that is overcompensation, like we talked about before. Of Perhaps. I just have to, I got to prove myself somehow. So yeah. why don't I do it like I think my dad would have done it? Yeah. And yeah. I'll settle. I'll show you. Yeah. I had these dreams. I'm confident that that what I'm doing is right. So 
let's do this. Yep. Whoops. Whoops. Um. Eh, speaking of dragons hatching, egg, right? Mm -hmm. Really taking a big step forward in his growth Mm. here. Uh, Acting frightening rather than frightened. Um, Yes. Dunk comments that he sounded, when when Egg was addressing Butterwell, he sounded more angry than afraid. And Dunk had never seen him look so stern. Um, Yeah, it's funny the things you can just kind of like pick up being in an environment i mean it's it's interesting that that egg is traveling around with dunk in the countryside and not learning the things in a castle that you would learn right Mm -hmm. he's learning different things um you know they cover that really well in in the hedge knight the the different kinds of things he'll learn instead of being coddled you know and end up like arion and and uh darren but uh Mm -hmm. but he somehow still managed to see the contempt and arrogance and uh just kind of i don't even i don't even know the right word this ability to look down on someone and just just through the tone of your voice cause them to fear and realize that they're in the wrong <laughs> with nothing else but but just this attitude it's something that, it, honestly, this is something, I don't think people understand. This is something that rich people that like that have like inherited wealth, that they have this sense of ownership and power and, and, and deserving, you know, that they just deserve things, that they just talk a different way. And they just, the way they speak and the method with which they deliver their information it implies that they're right, and you just mm, have yeah. a tendency to believe them. Better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and they're you just better. Believe them. Mm-hmm. And 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 he's he's got it right. Yeah. It's awful. It's awful. You can take the prince out of the palace, but you can't take the palace. Out. What am I trying to say? You Something. Know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and Bloodraven and Dunk say it uh, in the next section. Yep. He's a dragon. Bloodraven says. Yeah, beat it out of him. I try to, but he's a prince, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. I, I guess the only question really that remains for me on this chapter is Bola Brown. Would you or wouldn't you eat it? Yeah, I'd like to say no, but I've never gone hungry. Yeah, I think I would in this case, where you know what the meat was from the night before. Sure. But like you can trust it, or like you think you can. Uh-huh. The pot shops in King's Landing. The pot shop right. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But Sorry, I've never just... been faced with hunger. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm hungry right now, but I get what you mean. Sure. Yeah. It's like the Jim Gaffigan, Jim Gaffigan uh, comic bit where he talks about how he doesn't remember the last time he was really, truly hungry. <laughs> it's just like... Yeah. Because you just immediate, you just fill your stomach when all the time. He's just in a constant state of eating. Yes. Hmm, which I would I, love to be. I've got a bunch of stuff here about peak history, but I think we can cover it later. They're an interesting family, though. They've been around the block, huh? They have. And are still going around the block. And they, they and they go around on their knees. <laughs> the whole time. Uh, all right, should we move on? Sure. 
Alright. The Second Blackfire Rebellion. But Sir Glendon is a fucking mess. Hot iron burns all over his torso, one eye bleeding, missing teeth, and worst of all, Dunk reckons, three fingernails have been pulled from his fingers. Can you hold a lance? Do I have all my fingers? Shit, dude, this guy is a gamer. Dunk informs him that he is to ride against the Fiddler, really Damon the Second Blackfire, as we've discussed, to which Ball admits he would have fought and died for this man, but he could not lose to him. They get Ball cleaned up and armored as dawn approaches. The field is soaked from the rain, the footing an uneven, swampy mess. Dunk acts as his squire as Ball mounts a new horse, one an attorney, and requests a war lance. But Dunk's lunk brain harkens back to Ashford Meadow, remembering the strategy of one Baylor Breakspear, and he instead brings a tourney lance, knowing that if Ball's aim is good, Damon won't even be able to strike him. Ball takes this leap of faith and rides out to meet his foe with twelve feet of tourney lance against Damon's deadly eight-foot war lance. Thunder claps and the horses race toward each other. The first Blackfire Rebellion went out in a blaze of glory on the red grass field. But the second Blackfire Rebellion was snuffed out by a ball of bastard fire and a puddle of mud. Lord Gorman Peak shrieks as the fiddler falls, and the crowd and traitors-to-be turn on Damon in one glorious moment when he arises a brown dragon, covered in the aforementioned mud. Moments later, trumpets sound, announcing the arrival of an army of 6,000 strong, led by Bloodraven, not Makar. Damon, in no mood to give up, tries to rally the troops with a plan to slash and ride through that army and make for King's Landing, presumably to take the throne in a rush, I guess. But his plea falls on deaf ears, some slinking away, and one even daring to respond, Piss on that fiddle, boy! I'd sooner live! With that, Damon's only option is to walk out and try to win the battle in single combat. But Melissa Blackwood raised no fools. Bloodraven has Damon bound and jailed instead. No blood was spilled by the commanding army as the traitors were lined up for judgment by Brynden Rivers. Dunk is summoned to his presence in the middle of the proceedings, seeing the head of, heads of Gorman Peak and Black Tom Heddle mounted on spears as he approaches. Bloodraven is in the middle of sentencing Butterwell when Dunk arrives. He will get to keep one-tenth of his fortune as punishment for his part in this, and White Walls will be torn down and the land on it ruined. Uh, Rivers lashes Dunk with his tongue a bit, but you can tell there's really no claws there. Dunk tells Bloodraven some of the story, which he must have had already from Egg, because he asks precious few follow-up questions about what happened. For his part, Egg demands that Ball be found, released, and rewarded. And who are you to tell the King's Hand what to do? You know who I am, cousin, Egg replies. Indeed he does. He is a dragon. Damon may be a pretender, but his dream did come partially true at White Walls. Egg emerged from his shell and became a dragon at White Walls. He now wears his family ring proudly and speaks his mind, too, requesting gold from Bloodraven to pay off the snail for Dunk's armor before they leave. Wow. Well done, Egg. But Dunk and Egg have a few last remaining questions before the mystery machine departs for the north. Will Damon lose his head? No. No, Bloodraven thinks it's better to keep him alive, for while he lives... Bittersteel cannot crown his brother. And also, who stole the dragon's egg? It was too well guarded to be taken without notice. Lord Rivers suggests that a child could have shimmied up the privy shaft. Or a dwarf! Dunk blurts. That head no thicker than Butterwell's castle walls are about to become. And that is the end of the Mystery Night. Sure is. It's kind of a weird ending, huh? 
Did the ending feel really or, abrupt or to you? Or a dwarf. Yeah, very. Yeah, uh, you know, he, he, the author is trying to capitalize on the bit he set up, right? The little hints that he set up with the dwarf mm-hmm. thing and the, audio, the the reader's going, oh, you know. And that's um, it, though. <laughs> but that's it. Yeah, then, it, then it's over. All done. Seriously, the last weird. line is, why shouldn't some of them belong to a, a thousand eyes in one? Why shouldn't some of them belong to a troop of comic dwarfs? Yes. End of story. Yeah, well, are you are you taking this somewhere? Do you believe it means something? No, I'm not. I'm just saying it's it was just a little jarring to me. I was expecting to to get like at least another half page. We're accustomed to seeing like the two of them kind of riding away, being like, "So where do we go next?" And he's like, "Well, I've always wanted to see the wall." And... Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. In the first two stories, uh, we do we get a little. On the a little road bit of again. closure. Yeah. Yeah. Do 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 do. Right. And it takes a full circle. Yeah. Yeah. It's and and this one is just abrupt. You're right. Uh, you know, we could have gotten a little a little bit about heading to the wall. We kind of did get that in the last one, so maybe he didn't want to redo that. Right. Yeah. But um, I, I, I agree. It, it is a little abrupt. It's I, just like, whoa, we're done. Okay. To the to the to the point where I was like, okay, the end of Dunkin' Egg. I gotta write a inspiring, cool ending to this for my summary. But it's like, uh, nope. <laughs> how do I do that? Um, so yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. Yeah, uh, it's unconventional, but I suppose it works. So, eh. so hmm, where to start? Uh, I got another bone to pick. I love it when you have bones to pick. I pick so many bones. So, so we have these soldiers that sneak away from the sept after Heddle dies, right? Mm-hmm. Presumably go to Warren Peak, mm-hmm. and then we have the confrontation in the in the mess hall, feast hall, and and then we have several hours or so while they're getting ball ready to. To face to face the fiddler, and at some point, Gorman Peak would have been told by these knights that left what was going on. Don't you think he would have like done something? Yeah, like he the... he knows the jig is up. Like he would have done something else, left or you know something. Scrambled something, killed Seems Dunk like at least, right? Like out of just frustration. Trusting the, he's trying to just trust the process. I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. That it'll work. I don't know. And maybe the like men a... at arms, maybe the men at arms never went to him. Uh, maybe they ran themselves. Maybe. Maybe they just, maybe they just left. Yeah, it's. It, I think it it's says a fair like question, they sneak though. off. Don't. Uh, maybe it said run off. Anyway. Yeah, and then Lord Butterwell concludes they're probably going to tell Pete. Yes. Right. It, that's anyway, a fair question though. It feel it feels like a loose end that like they never dealt with. Those guys mm-hmm. told Gorman and Gorman Peak is not the guy to just sit around and do nothing about it. Yeah, you would think that he would be trying to desperately hatch something to try to save the situation. But... Yeah. I mean, but but Damon's not really playing along with him anymore either. Nope. You know? You gotta imagine Gorman is like, Don't do this stupid joust. Not you. Let somebody else do it. And Fiddler's like, Nope, I'm doing it. Like yep. Like, this whole thing is unraveled so much that his guy isn't even following his instruction anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I guess he's just come too far, and he even says that at one point, that it's he's come too far now. But, I don't know, it just felt loose. Yep, I hear you. I can get behind that. 
The whole thing is just, oh man, what a mess. Yeah. Did, did kinda, you want, go ahead. Kind of reminded me not too much of Theon taking Winterfell in the sense that it was just doomed almost before it began. Yeah. It just yeah. wasn't going to work. Yeah. And even the men at arms knew it. Uh, what did you think of Dunk's tourney lance strategy? I think it. I, I think it may have been the difference maker. Maybe. You have part, one shot. Part of me is well. Part of I think that goes both ways. Part of me is like, balls the better lance. Just let him win. Yes, and so that's the thing: is could he have just won alone? But, yeah. Um, but I think a, a fully healthy and rare and ready to go Glendon ball could have beaten him handily. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But a pretty messed up fresh out of the torture chamber Glendon ball, you know, give him, give him his advantages where he can. Yeah. Uh, hmm. do you think this army was just hanging out waiting for egg to get clear or for, something to happen for morning to come or do you think they were like sprinting to get there by now it sounded like they were prepared enough that something had been in the works for a while yeah like they'd been sitting around hidden for you know a half a day yeah. or more like close by yeah kind of waiting right right i mean waiting for egg to get clear maybe or i don't know if it was for egg to get clear or maybe it wasn't even so much waiting. It was like on the morning of this day, we're going to move in, you know, and it just happened to all play out perfectly. But do you think um, on that note, do you think more people would have maybe stood with Damon if he'd won that joust? More, but not enough, probably. I mean, I think, I think that that little conversation with the men at arms is meant to clue us in. And, and all the other hints, mm-hmm. too. No bitter steel, no sword, Butterwell and Frey leaving, mm-hmm. um, the egg not, you know, being stolen, and, uh, you know, the fake egg being there in place. All these things are signs, right? And I I don't think it would have worked anyway. Right. I mean, they didn't have the numbers to fight regardless, but more people might have stood by them. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is these men at arms and stuff, they just don't have any skin in the game, right? No, no. What's it to them? Well, I mean, they all have, supposedly they have, you know, grievances against the throne and stuff. And most of them were Blackfire supporters before. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have some reason to do it. But but it's got to be, you know, on, <laughs> on Critical Role, one of the characters, he's a wizard and he's always talking about risk and the it's okay to take risks if the payoff is good enough if the payoff is there yeah but but the risk has to be small enough and the payoff large enough that it's worth it the risk here is huge is everything it's your life and and it's your family's lives and i don't think they think the odds are good given who's Mm -hmm. shown up and you know no sword and no bitter steel and i think i think they were sold a line of come on it's gonna be great it's gonna be you know we're going to do it again, Blackfire Rebellion Part 2, and it's going to be amazing, and we're going to do it this time. And they showed up, and they're like, ah, Ooh, boy. not quite what I thought. Yeah. You know? One time I went to a job interview that was like, it had been sold as like a 
I was fresh out of college. I was fresh. I didn't know anything about jobs and interviews and what I was getting into. And it was like billed as like an advertising job. And I had gotten my degree in marketing. It was garbage, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll go check it out. You know, I got my little suit on and everything. And uh, I went and it was door-to-door magazine sales. And, oh, gosh. You know, and not to, you know, not to disparage anyone doing that, but the ad was written in a way that didn't suggest that at all. Right. And so, you know, these guys were given an ad, you know, and I think they got there and realized it was not what they were expecting. This isn't going to work, yeah. 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 But. Has, feel for... has... Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask if the I challenge you to single combat thing has ever worked can't think of a time i mean even when they actually fought so bellwas fights the guy right yeah they send their trashes out trashes mm-hmm. him and it doesn't change anything they're still like oh yeah well we didn't we don't care we're still staying in here yeah <laughs> right <laughs> like you're not actually gonna give up your castle if you lose are you oh gosh the one guy fell i guess we're all done for yeah, <laughs> yeah. you yeah. gave your word well yeah that yes sucks. But here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. If we win, no one will remember that. Yeah. No. Sorry. What's your, my thing was small. What's your thing? It's related. And that is, you find it kind of feel for Damon Blackfire here, though. Uh, that he tries to rally the troops. I do when I, I, do when I don't. Um, you know, to some degree, uh, I think Glendon Ball and, and Damon are meant to be uh juxtaposed in this way yeah kind of foils of each other yeah they're both arrogant uh to the point of believing in themselves to be the real deal and in one case we know he is the real heir and he is not the real deal and the other case we don't really know for sure whether glendon ball is who he says he is but he is the real deal he's the real deal that's a cool observation i like that and and so i think you're meant to see this arrogant guy who is desperate to prove that he's the real deal and he isn't and he just keeps acting like he is he either is doing so thinking he's a real deal or knows it and is pretending Mm -hmm. so i feel bad for him a little bit because he's trying to live up to this thing that all these people want him to live up to but at the same time he's not i know i've been the bigger defender of him but he's not a great dude you know he's he's he misses a lot he's full of himself he He's manipulated quite a bit, as many of the Targaryens are in their rule. But, um, you know, he's not great. As far as a figurehead of a rebellion, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. I hadn't made that connection between Glendon and, and Damon. I like that. Well done. I made it just now, my friend. Cool. I like the... Uh, so, reading the part where he tries to make his little stand and everything, I just kept hearing this song lyric in my head by the band guster uh it's really sad song called two points for honesty and the refrain in the song is two points for honesty it must make you sad to know that nobody cares at all and I thought of that with Damon. It must make you sad to know that nobody cares at all. And uh, that he's the heir, the Blackfire heir. But in the end, when it matters, nobody cares. And I thought that with Glendon, too, that the discussion that we've had about him is, you know what? Even if you are Fireball's heir, 
Sorry, man, but nobody, nobody cares. cares. Yeah. Yeah. What's that? And, the... Go ahead. Sorry. That was it. Well, there's that Jurassic Park meme that's always thrown around. <laughs> See, with, nobody with new... cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Ah, <sighs> you have to... anything else for this section? <sighs> oh, how interesting is it? Glendon, Glendon says to Dunk, I would have been his man, yes. Damon's man, gladly. Yeah. I would have fought for him, killed for him, died for him, but I could not lose for him. Yep. And you wonder if, if Damon had been the one in charge and uh, pulling the strings, not that Damon was qualified to be in charge, <laughs> but Damon rather than Gorman, and he would have known this, I wonder if he would have accepted it and been like, okay, Glendon, well, come on over, buddy. You're on my team now. Um, he was more interested in getting in Dunk's pants because uh, he's attractive. I mean, like, sure literally, here we have a guy who is, again, a, a juxtaposition, I guess, a little bit with Dunk and, and Ball. You have a guy who is actually interested in your political affiliation, who is a good fighter, who is willing and dying for your approval, and you're mm-hmm. ignoring him. And you have yeah. this guy that wants nothing to do with you, doesn't get who you are, doesn't believe who you are, <laughs> and isn't really a, even a good fighter, and has all is in fact traveling with your sworn enemy, <laughs> and you're you're spending all your energy trying to get him. Yep. It's kind of funny. It is, yeah. And it's because Dunk looks better. Yeah. Big and, well, yeah, he did have the dream about him. Yeah, he the did. The dream does yeah. seem to be part of it. But yeah, give Glendon a chance here, and you might have found yourself with... yeah. Quite the ally. Yeah. Um, I did like this quote. Just real quick, we can finish it off. Uh, just talking about Brendan Rivers and how how masterfully he kind of engineered this yes. whole thing. Yeah, um, for sure. The Art of War. There's a quote in that famous piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, hence to fight. Yeah, Sun Tzu. Hence, to fight and conquer in all your battles is not supreme excellence. So fighting and conquering in all your battles is not supreme excellence. Supreme excellence consists in breaking the enemy's resistance without fighting. Mm. Which is exactly what the second Blackfire Rebellion ended up being. And yet Dunk did that. Sort of. With Ball and... Mm -hmm. He was part of it. Yeah. But Brendan also with... uh, with getting the egg out of there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that that's ended true. up being huge. Yeah, it was. It sent everyone scrambling and... Yep, oh, you're right. So, he yeah. sowed the chaos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good quote. I think I'm ready to call it, man. All for right. this section, anyways. Let's do it. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Uh, I believe... Let's move on. Let's move on. So thanks for joining us. And uh, we're now going to proceed into Davos After Dark, where, as we fully admitted, we're running out of things to talk about in Davos Uh After Dark. But we will still treat it as a time where we can discuss theories and and what direction things are going that are not happening on the pages of A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. So we've got some, I think, some fun topics to discuss tonight. If you want to avoid those and not be spoiled for for future events or, or for things like that, you can stop listening right now. That's okay. We won't judge you. We still love you. It's it's totally cool. Uh, but if you'd like a, a, a few more minutes of content, 
stick with us and um, we are going to start out with a who's that dragon that covers brendan blood river blood raven rivers so if you are interested in that and if that pushes you over the edge to keep listening then by all means keep listening but without any further ado let's proceed to davos after dark davos after dark so as i mentioned uh, our who's that dragon segment is going to focus on i mean who else at this point who else we got to do brendan we couldn't escape knight of the seven kingdoms without doing something on brendan rivers right he's the backdrop of the whole thing maybe outside the first one interesting that you'd say that tell me what you mean by that uh i mean uh well the so the first one is set up as you know the the people in power uh there you know we have the king uh darren uh we have uh his heirs basically balor makar um the the throne is the, the succession is clear um mm-hmm. so blood raven isn't really a big part of that one um but after the spring sickness the second two books uh kind of the specter of blood raven ruling the kingdom is kind of hovering over both stories uh, mm-hmm. in in the sworn sword you get um you get a lot of discussion early on about how he's neglecting a lot of the lands the ironborn are reaving as far in as uh as red lake and and um you know these these castles where the webers are and where used osgrey is at cold moat and um you know you get the sense that he he's not really taking care of the kingdom people are blaming him for that uh and so you you get that whole thing um you also then in the, in this one, the Mystery Knight, you get uh, his presence very clear, right? It's one of the reasons the time is ripe is because everyone hates Blood Raven. Mm-hmm. That's so Blood Raven is not a hit on the sitcom, <laughs> right? So um, yeah, I mean he's very and and actually performs as a character in this one, right? As as absolutely, as but mm-hmm. um, but it, but his but his presence is even more felt than 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 Maynard's actual lines right oh yeah it is kind of hovering over there yep good points i love it um so generally when we do these who's that dragon segments we are accustomed to kind of going over the history of the character but no one's had quite the history that blood raven has uh, none that we've covered so far so um i'll try to be brief kind of covering who he is and where he came from sure and Scott, I invite you to jump in. So, Brendan, of course, was one of the great bastards, born to Aegon IV, and as Scad mentioned earlier, Melissa Blackwood. She'd replaced Barba Bracken as the king's kind of main squeeze. Barba was the mother of Aegor Rivers, who's another great bastard. And so the situation with in, in that case, with one mother kind of taking the place of the other, leads to a lifetime of animosity amongst the sons, Aegor and, and Brendan. Rivers was an albino. He had a red wine-stained birthmark. From, went from his right cheek down to his throat. It looked to some like kind of an ink blot of a raven. Hence the nickname. Blood Raven. Get it? Got it. Of course, he was legitimized in 184 along with his fellow bastards. Uh, First Blackfire Rebellion comes along and he sides with King Darren, not with the Blackfires. And he, along with the company of bowmen that he commanded called the Raven's Teeth, 
were instrumental in turning the tide at the Battle of the Redgrass Field. He killed, uh, well, at least the, the raven's teeth, killed Damon as well as Damon's two sons uh, at that battle. Rivers faced Agor Rivers, or Brendan faced Agor in single combat. Agor took Brendan's eye, but eventually retreated. Um, Blood Raven served his hand of the king to King Ares and then to King Makar. He was known as, as brutally effective. Uh, he squelched sicknesses, put down rebellions, um, but he, as you mentioned, Skadi was not well loved. Many claim that he and his sister slash paramour share a sea star dabbled in sorcery and witchcraft um, and that Brendan was also a kinslayer for killing Damon. Heaven forbid he put down the rebellion, but kinslayer nonetheless. And him being involved in kind of those dark arts and everything was part of the reason the kingdom was suffering. Uh, what else here? When the Great Council was called to decide on the ruling secession after Makar's death, the first thing the newly crowned King Aegon, that's right, Egg, did was have Brendan arrested. You know why? Because as it turns out, Rivers, Brendan, had promised safe passage to Damon Blackfire's son, Aenys, to participate in the council. But then as soon as Aenys got there, Bloodraven had him beheaded. <laughs> Aegon couldn't stand for this, and uh, he gave Brendan either the option of death or taking the black. Brendan chose to take the black and traveled there in 233 in the company of Maester Aemon and 200 others. Among many were Brendan's Raven's Teeth Bowmen. Brendan was later elected Lord Commander of the Night's Watch in 239, so six years, and he disappeared during a ranging beyond the wall in 252, so 13 years after that. Um, he reappears on page in Dance with Dragons when Bran Stark finds him still alive and living in a cave beyond the wall. He's half a tree at this point um, and is the three-eyed crow and the last green seer. And, uh, and over 100 years old, I think. Uh, easily, yep. yeah. 100 and... 112 or something. I can't, I can't remember the exact number of date of his yeah. birth. But, um, He's basically being kept alive by the tree at this point. Since what we believe, right? yeah. 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 Almost like it's an umbilical cord. The tree's keeping him alive somehow. I don't know. But It's gross. I don't want to... That's yuck. Well, there well, it is. There it is. <laughs> that's life. <laughs> that's You're right. It's a long history. Uh, he's lived... 100 plus years and there's a lot there a busy man mm -hmm. yeah where where do you think he's going man we've talked about this before i think where do i think he's going nowhere he's yeah stuck to that tree man at which point in time <laughs> his character his arc uh, his role going forward in the books from this i mean point? like or i from... feel no in, oh. in dance oh I feel like he wants to fight the others. I feel like he, he wants to defeat them. But at what cost, I guess, is, is my question. I feel like he did want to defeat them. I don't know. We've talked about this before, and I don't want to harp on it for too long. But that whole, the way those chapters are written, it's horror story-like. It's, it's, uh -huh. it, it's macabre, it's, it's dark, and it's ominous. And uh, it, it doesn't paint to me 
a this is going to end well kind of vibe. That mm-hmm. said, maybe that's exactly what George is preying on, right? Uh, my my reliance on tropes and and the way these things usually go, and that actually this is going to be okay, kind of like a uh, <clears throat> a Alan Rickman. Uh, oh geez, uh, what's his name? Harry Potter. Uh, Snape. The Snape kind of thing. Um, so you know may- maybe he's just playing that, but mm-hmm. it doesn't feel good. I think he definitely had that impression, that intent when he went north, um, and and as a member of the Night's Watch. But I wonder if he's either learned more about what the others represent or how to deal with them or has been corrupted by the children, perhaps, who also creep me the fuck out um, and and now has got other motives. I don't know. There's a lot there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot there. I, I'm not one of those guys that thinks Bran is the savior and and everything is just going to go smoothly there. I'm, right. I'm very worried about that whole arc and that whole storyline. Well, it seems like when he's... Can I say recruit when he's when he's coming sure. for Bran as a three-eyed crow, yeah. recruiting Bran in a sense? Likely it's... not the only one he ever recruited, given yeah. many theories out there. Ahead. You're on Greyjoy. Uh, it seems like it's to combat the threat of the others. It does. But is it just ominous enough that he's, if you say, kind of corrupted by the whole thing? Is he trying to recruit Bran... And he's giving him that kind of feeding him that line at first, but then to kind of turn him completely evil and maybe, well, but, but to even, the other's way of doing things. I don't know. But even then, you have, and now we're into totally total speculation where they're already, I guess I took us there. But uh, even then, you have to ask to what end? Even if it is this ominous foreboding trade, you know, change to, to darkness and evil, what, why? To what? What's he trying to do? I still don't. I have no idea what the actual goal of having Brand there is, for good or evil, right? I don't know what they're gonna do. They can see and affect time, right, through the weirwood net. So like, it could be anything. But I don't know mm-hmm. what it is, and I have. I don't think I've ever seen a theory I really liked about it either. There's just not enough. Yeah. There's just not enough meat on which to construct. A, a passable theory i think nor enough meat um, on blood raven's bones anymore definitely not definitely not but we do get a picture of his personality yes of a guy who's throughout these stories a guy who does what it takes yes sure. uh and so that's what i wonder if george is trying to he wants us to remember is that whatever blood raven decides to do he he does what it takes to do it i think you convinced uh, me in one sentence yeah, I think you're right. He he wouldn't have written all these painting Bloodraven this way, to then turn it. This, these all story mm-hmm. matters, arc matters. The, all this stuff is meant to tell us something, and I don't think he's evil. But what side is that? I just don't know. I don't know. But, yeah, and what is he willing to sacrifice to win? Yeah. Well, I think you know one thing I didn't say here is I think for sure that was not just arranging. I think he went out with the intent of yes. And mm-hmm. um, he was done. Yep. Yeah. And well, I think he knew he had something to do out there. I don't mm-hmm. know how much he knew about mm-hmm. it, but he knew he had something to do out there and went out there purposefully. Yeah. I don't, though, not, I can't say why then he would have bar- took a bunch of men with him. Maybe to defend him from wildlings, which would have been on that plan, I guess. But anyway. yeah, if it's like, I got to get to this point, I don't think I can get there alone. Well, 
I'm going to take you guys with me and yeah, you're going to be my human shields if I need it. Greater good. Greater good. Yeah, greater good. It's for a better cause. I will say one thing that's interesting is, uh, and this, this feeds my, uh, my egg on nose theory a little bit that I only half-heartedly believe in, um, that I love the egg on nose theory. Oh, good. I, it's, it's part of, it's really just a, a, an earlier part of your bigger, uh, you know, team John theory, right? Kind of. Sure. Uh, but his treatment of Damon here is in direct contrast to his treatment of Aenus. Uh, that's right. I call him Aenus, uh, later, right? He does not behead Damon here because he doesn't want to encourage more Blackfire, Blackfire nominations. Aenus, Uh he doesn't worry about that for some reason. Could it be pretense to send him to the wall because he knows he needs to go there? Mm. Totally. Love it. Yeah. I actually love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, he could and just Aegon's volunteer like, to go to the wall, so you don't need a pretense necessarily. But I, I thought of that too, though, but it's like Aegon is like, okay, dude, we need a reason, you know? Yeah. You've you've left me no choice, Brendan. Yeah. And I'm going to send you with 300 warriors. Yeah. Whatever it was. Going to send you with all your raven's teeth, yeah. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's something there, and I like that idea that that there was no accident there and i love the the parallel that you drew about well he didn't have any problem beheading amy's so Mm -hmm. yeah all right blood raven an interesting cat as much as we know about him we still don't know a lot no i think you're right though we should focus on the history of his character and intent and willingness to get the job done regardless of you know what that means Mm-hmm. So we focus on that, and it it should paint, it should paint his future, unless yeah, and, there's some magical force corrupting him, right? And if and if it's true what we're saying that it was kind of the plot for Aegon to have a reason to send Brendan to the Wall, that that just fits in with his willingness to do whatever it takes, yep. right? Yep. That I've got a pretty cush position. Sure, my my popularity rating isn't very high amongst the small folk and stuff, but. He's got a good job running the kingdom, essentially. Yeah. And he's willing to give that all up to go to the wall. And the wall isn't the final destination in this case. Mm. It's a stepping stone to then move even further north. And Yep. Yep. Fits. Fits a bit. Because we're making it fit. Yeah, it's, it's very, you know what, the, the greatest thing about tinfoil, it's very meshable. You, you can, can kind mold of tinfoil into anything. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody. So to continue Davos After Dark, this is an exciting moment for Scat and myself because it's our first ever special guest who's joining us not only to talk about Ice and Fire Con, but also to talk about some of the uh, topics we wanted to discuss in Davos After Dark. Right, Scatty? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, we're very excited. So Elena is joining us. She's on the small council, what they call the small council for Ice and Fire Con. Which, well, we'll let her talk a little about what that means, but uh, we wanted to bring her on here, talk a little bit about Ice and Fire Con. I promote it pretty much every episode we do uh, because As I you love should. it so much. Uh, I've gone the last two years and uh, fell in love with it the first year and had an even better time last year than the first year, than the first year. And uh, I just, I want every 
everyone to experience how great it can be uh, to be in that environment. And so we brought Elena on to talk a little bit about it, and, and like Matt said, to join us as well for some conversation about Dunkin' Eggs. So Elena, welcome. Uh, thanks so much for inviting me. I uh, I absolutely I love the cup, love listening to the podcast. So um, I, I'm honored to be here with you guys. Oh, great! Well, thank you. So, do you want to talk? Do you want to start a little bit off with just what you do uh, for uh, for the small council for Ice and Firecom? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, well, I'm kind of the uh, I'm, I'm basically I'm the Jill of all trades for the small council. I uh, <laughs> just kind of bounce around and do whatever needs to be done. Um, my official role is uh, like on-site planning since I do live the closest to where the convention is. Mm. Uh, but since we are still in uh, the end of January and we still have till April, I mean, there isn't too much I need to be doing right now. So uh, right now I'm finding uh, different uh, donations from uh, some really great Etsy stores that I found on online. I've been uh, writing to some of the local stores and seeing if they'd be interested in sponsoring, things like that. Oh, cool. cool. Some of those donations, uh, they go, I assume, to that silent auction that we do? They do. Our silent auction is actually the number one way we raise money for our next year for Ice and FireCon. Uh, it's a very big part of the convention. If I, if anyone here who is thinking about going ice and firecon we'd love to have you but uh just a warning when it gets down to the last like five minutes or so for the <laughs> auction it gets ugly furious yeah. <laughs> there's some elbowing it's a lot of hey get out of my way wait a minute i thought that was mine it uh <laughs> but it, of course it's all in good fun and uh, as i said all the money goes towards the convention itself so we try our hardest to make sure that we have the best things for everyone at the con yeah and and last year that silent auction i don't remember whether it's the same the last the year before that or not but last year that silent auction also took place uh where there were vendors also selling a bunch of stuff uh so event kind of a vendor alley that uh, i bought some art last year uh, i got uh, pictures of uh the three youngest stark children with their wolves and i love them I got them hanging here in my in my office but uh, lots of vendors that uh, that you guys get that sell all sorts of cool stuff. I bought a, a Baratheon pillow the previous year. You got uh, vendors, I assume, coming back this year? We do. We do. Um, we have some great vendors that are actually returning that we had last year. I can't really say who yet because I believe we're still accepting uh, vendor applications sure. until February. But uh, there are some good favorites that are returning. So keep your eye out on our uh, Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram. Pretty much, if there's a way to get a hold of somebody, we're on it. Yeah. <laughs> Could I ask you, Elena? What what is what is your well? How long have you been going to Ice and Firecon, and what is your favorite thing? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> I have to think real quick. Uh, the first year I went was 2016, um, and absolutely fell in love with it. Uh, started volunteering in 2017. Uh, 2018, they asked me to be a, be a member of the small council. Uh, so this will be my fourth year. I feel like I've been going for a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I guess, honestly, the thing I love the most is just the uh, the camaraderie. Mm -hmm. um, how much everyone just... I mean, the first day we were there, the first year that we went, it was just like this 
giant family I didn't know I had. Yeah. was just, everyone was very much like, oh, hey, you're new. Come on, you're on our team. Uh, we were uh, we decided to join uh, the Snarks and Grumpkins, which is another one of our uh, yearly traditions where you have to go and, like, uh, find a picture of uh, O'Burton cosplayer and get him to propose to Jamie Lannister. It's just random stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we decided to join just for the, uh, just for the heck of it. And, uh, as I said, just somebody was like, oh, you're new. Okay. You're on our team. They're yeah. like, just come on. Like, we're ready. Let's go. And I'm like, okay. And that's really just how Ice and Firecon is every year. And I really love that we are one big family. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I'll expound on that too, because I think, I think you mentioned my favorite thing too, is just kind of the openness of seemingly everybody. I mean, Elena, I think you and I talked maybe twice, very briefly, total. <laughs> you know, like, we don't know each other very well. Nope. And yet I feel I feel very plugged into the con, and yet there's all these people I, d- I don't know. I've, you know, I've only talked to Tara even a few times. And yet I feel very plugged in, because everyone around is just kind of engaging, right? And, um, yeah, very very welcoming to to people that are you know some if you're shy they'll help you bring you know bring you in without maybe being too forceful but if you're outgoing you can meet any number of people right and it's it's just great celebrating the things we love it's great Uh, on that note um if if i could ask you know in a in a in a world where people can participate in the world i I realize i sound (laughs) like a movie trailer uh but in a world in a world where you can you can anonymous, anonymously contribute to a fandom you know behind a computer screen and and behind a username and people can oftentimes get very snarky and and mean with each other uh, and there's the opposite of that too what do you, what do you feel is the importance of of having events like this where you get out from behind that computer screen and and interact with each other face to face that is ac- that's excellent question. If you give me like five seconds, let me think about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know I um, I am a member of the Twitteros, uh, but I mean, it, 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 I mean, it comes back to being a family. Like, I mean, Twitteros, while there are several hundred thousand, I don't know, there's so many of us. It, if somebody else came in and started saying stuff about each other or about someone else in our Twitteros family. Mm-hmm. Obviously, everyone else is going to stick up for them. Sure. And I feel like having these conventions, it just really reaffirms that bond with each mm-hmm. other. It reaffirms that, hey, you're not just a person behind the computer screen. You're someone I know. You're someone I talk to. You're someone I've tweeted at like six times about the stupidest crap I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> but it, as I said, it just really it reaffirms the relationship that we all have together. And it reaffirms this amazing bond we get over this set of books. Yeah, that we're all still humans that like the same thing, right? Exactly. That love the same thing. Yeah. And there's just I love that. There's just so many great little things about the con that are uh, the the joust. The do they call it the tourney? I guess is just yes. it's hilarious. People riding <laughs> sticks and jousting each other with pool noodles, and they get they get into it. They're play, you know. Uh, there's a guy named Dan who plays 
a villainous fray. I think he does it every year. It's just brilliant. Uh, they're just they're so into it, in, into just you know representing these books and the, the level of knowledge. You don't need to be intimidated by it, but the people have it and they just express it in these wonderful ways, from costumes to you know just everything. It's amazing. Oh, to yeah. monologues, right, Scatty? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, that, I mean, that was, I think, I'm pretty sure that was the first time I actually ever talked to you. Was um, I was I announced you to do your uh, <laughs> to do the broken man speech? Yeah, yeah. And then I just sat there and like cried hysterically with Dom, and it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> it was fine. It was all fine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, that was that was a, a great a great moment for me for sure, and uh, it was so rewarding to be able to to be able to just do that for people that cared so much, um, you know, about about the content. It was it was really great. Hopefully, hopefully, I got something else in the works for this year. It's still, still kind of coming together, but, but that'll be good. The talent, the talent portion had so much fun in it. Uh, karaoke was a blast. Did you do karaoke? Karaoke was fun, uh, but the, I mean, there's just so many. There's panels where you can broaden your horizons on information. You know, uh, tons of different topics um, out there, and. Uh, I don't know, man. You can you can just grow in so many ways by coming to this con. All right, uh, Elena. Anything else you'd like to uh, talk about with Ice and Fire Con? Um, well, obviously, I uh, want to mention the dates. It's yes. the uh, the last weekend of April. Uh, that is the oh god, let me look at my calendar. Uh, that is the twenty fifth through the twenty eighth. Um, usually uh, before up until I want to say last year, our official days were only that Friday through. Sunday. However, mm -hmm. last year we started uh, our official Thursday uh, Thursday entertainment and uh, Thursday panels. Uh, the first kickoff with that was actually uh, Drunk Ace Waff with uh, Chloe, who now does uh, Girls Gone Canon. Um, and of course, since it is going to be uh, right, in the, uh, right in the middle of the new Game of Thrones season... Uh, we do have a watch party on that Sunday as well on the 28th. So we're planning on doing a live watch with whoever's still there, whoever stuck around or got stuck because of flights, whatever. Uh, <laughs> we usually just all pile into uh, one of the panel rooms. Everyone brings in blankets and pillows, and it's basically just like a giant sleepover. <laughs> uh, we all sit around, we watch the show, and uh, then obviously we get to have a little, like, uh, powwow and sit around and talk about everything and talk about what happened. Um, it is really great this year because it does fall, uh, as I said, right in the middle of the new season. So we're going to have two new episodes to talk about before Sunday even comes around for the convention. And then obviously uh, we're going to have a third one to discuss during it. So we're all very excited for that. Uh, I know we are having some uh, returning members, um, uh, some great, uh, as I said, the vendors. Um, oh my gosh, I cannot remember the names. Uh, we have the stage combat couple coming yes. back again. Uh, very excited about that. Uh, I know I talked uh, with both of them several times over the course of the convention, just because I was very interested. I don't really do stage combat at all, so I'm like, why not? Let's give it a shot. <laughs> I was very concerned that he, that the uh, the guy was uh, very confused about our uh, our jousting, <laughs> considering 
he does actual jousting. <laughs> 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 We're like, oh god, we drove him off, and apparently he he loved it. He thought it was hilarious. <laughs> so very excited to have them back again. Um, and the wolves are the wolves coming back? The wolves will come again. All right. Ooh. Winter is coming. Winter is here. I don't know about you guys, but we're going to get eight inches of snow tonight. So. <laughs> we had some snow today, but it wasn't anything that bad. Nothing like that, yeah. yeah. Just well, keeps coming. <laughs> I'll, I'll add to that then. Uh, so Davos Fingers will, will have a presence there. I will be there. Scad will be there. We will have a panel uh, there to talk about. Uh, it'll be very informal, just kind of just talk talk amongst people that follow this podcast and have some fun. We're, we're informal? <laughs> what? Uh, hmm. So with that in mind, if you're going to get a ticket, make sure to type in fingers uh, to get your uh, your discount there when you check out and uh, get uh, get a few dollars off there of the price. So do that, and uh, I really hope to see you guys there. Are, don't, uh, don't are you guys shy. part of our fandom favorites, I'm yes. guessing, since yes. you do that? Awesome. So uh, they'll, you guys will actually also be uh, in a meetup with the other members of the small council and uh, some of our Patreon members. So that'll be very, ne- very mm. cool. Yeah. I think it's going to be like a meet and greet hour. Cool. So I look forward to that with you guys. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, let's let's move on then and finish our discussion about about uh, the mystery night. So. Elena, we cover. We're on the sixth episode uh, of covering all of our Dunkin' Egg, uh, all of our Dunkin' Egg coverage here. So we're kind of right on the tail end of it. We've got some uh, some fun stuff to talk through here. Matt, you want to kick us off and lead us back into the Dolls After Dark stuff? You know, let's do it. Let's do and it. Uh, this is something that you know it comes across now, and in, in in hindsight, and then looking back at it, it's super obvious. But you and I, during the main portion of the cast. We skirted around the issue, right, of Maynard Plum and Blood Raven. Yeah, we didn't we didn't hit the nail right on the head. So we let's raise it a few nail. times. Hit our let's thumb hit with the that hammer. nail right on the freaking head. Maynard Plum, uh, it's all but guaranteed. It's all but verified completely. Is uh, is is Brendan Rivers, right? Yeah. Um, we want to the three of us go through and name off some of the uh, some of the evidence that this is so. Well, I, I think the I think the the last nod is maybe the the most obvious one. The pale I think it's a pale white brute uh, brooch that's pinning his his cloak. Um, that's meant to be his his missing eye, right? I think. Yeah, be symbolic of it, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah. Um... But uh, but I mean it's it's overarching throughout the whole the whole story, right? Of his his little manipulations, giving Dunk advice to leave, um, you know, being there at the well, knowing what's going on, um, you know, with where where Egg is. He's this just like Blood Raven is a spectral figure at the backdrop of of the Mystery Knight, as well as this one sort of little bit. Um, he is a spectral figure that comes in and out of this story as well as Maynard Plum in a in a similar way. So I think it's I think it's meant to be pretty clear. Elena, did you catch on early that Maynard was Blood Raven? Because I didn't. I I did not. Um... Phew. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I remember reading through it, and then I'm like, that's, I mean, something's different about Maynard Plum. I mean, that's very obvious to everyone. Like, yeah. uh-huh. so, he's got something going on that you know he he knows more than he's putting on. Yeah. Um, honestly, like, I didn't really like think about him being brendan rivers until i went i want to i probably googled it i'll be honest i was like what's up with maynard plum and everyone's like he's rivers dumbass i'm like oh yeah no to be (laughs) clear when i say it's when i say it's clear and obvious i don't mean that i caught it the first time either i mean going back and looking at it you can see like oh right yeah but we kind of have to have our hands held like elena's saying right there in the beginning yeah 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 and then of course um we get a little more information on how that disguise is taking place. And, and the common theory that I think is a, is a sound one is that it's via a glamour, right? Um, they say, uh, the quote from the book is, from the story is, there was something queer about the cast of Sir Maynard's features. The longer Dunk looked, the less he seemed to see. Uh, and going back to some of Melisandre's stuff in... in uh, in a dance with dragons, she talk, she's talking about Rattleshirt and the Mance glamour, and she talks about how she's looking at Mance and she sees gray eyes, brown eyes, and Melisandre could see the color change with each pulse of the ruby that that Mance was wearing. Right, um, going into to more about what glamours are, that glamours are an illusion. The wearer's essence doesn't change, only his seeming or the way he looks to other people. Uh, a man's shadow, uh, the glamour's strongest when it's built on a particular object or a body part. Finger bones, Mel gives us that enticing line in the book, mm-hmm. um, belonging to the person which the illusion will resemble. So a man's shadow can be drawn forth from such and be draped about someone else like a cloak. So I guess the question was, is, was, Rain, was Maynard Plum a, a real person? that Blood Raven maybe dispatched of and took a piece of him or something? I wouldn't put it beyond Blood Raven. He's, he's very much a greater good kind of guy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the rules of Glamours seem to suggest it would be more powerful that way. That said, it doesn't have to be a convincing Glamour to be a specific person because no one knows this person. Yeah. So I don't know how powerful that Glamour has to be to represent an individual so much as it has to represent a believable human that's not Blood Raven. Because men see what they expect to see. That's yes. another thing that's brought up with glamours is right. they see what they expect to see and they're not looking for much. He's just a hedge knight. He's just a dude. Right. Just yeah. Just a dude. Uh, I'll ask this though about glamour. So do we have and this is an honest question, I'm not I'm not leading you anywhere. Do we have much knowledge of people that can use glamours outside of outside of Mel? Outside of the faith of the fire i mean the faceless men yeah, i mean i right. feel like it's basically a, I, I feel like it's basically a glamour i mean i know they're the essentially chain, yeah. just like stealing faces but they're glamour basically glamouring themselves into those pers- into those people yeah, yeah it's definitely similar right i think he i think the kindly old man brings it up and he says it's not exactly a glamour because like you said we're putting on someone's face and so but there's, something magic is occurring. But there's there's magic occurring yeah. there for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but where I'm, well, so I, uh, I guess I was not completely honest. I was leading us a little somewhere. Um, <laughs> where do you suppose Blood Raven 
learn to do that? Or was it Shiera doing it for him? And we we all probably know about the theory about the two of them creating Melanie, uh, who became Melisander. Um, what where, where do you think he got this from? How did he has he know how to do that? If it if it is related to the faith and he's not involved in the faith of Valor, then where did he get it? If it's not and it's just other magic and anyone can do glamours like the faceless men have their version and you know the R'hllor worshippers have their version you know, where do you think he got it from? Honestly I feel like he made a I think it goes back to uh, like the family blood like I mean the reason why Bran is able to do so much is because of his Stark blood mm-hmm. and the Stark blood has a lot of magic in it and I mean, his mother was the uh, was a Blackwood. Melissa Blackwood, yep. And the Blackwoods have a long line of. Aren't they? They're originally from the North, aren't they? Yeah, they're first. They, men. They worship, yep. They're first, first men, and they worship stuff. the old gods. They do, mm-hmm. or they yep. at least they still have the weirwood. Yeah, they do. They worship the old gods. They have blood of first men. I don't think they ever lived in the North, although that might be a matter of dispute. I feel like I, I did read something about that somewhere. But um, but yeah, they're they're for sure blood of blood of the first men, and and he he could have that in there. They also talk about like you said, Elena, the the blood and like what different types of blood mix do right. You got the Targaryen mm-hmm. blood, which has clearly some you know powerful magical components, depending on who you ask, you know that do some things. And you've got the blood of the first men, and mixing those together, what does that do? And uh, yeah. I, I've always, on this cast, I've always been somebody that kind of, I always hate the blood argument because the way the way genetics works in our world and there is no clean blood anymore. There is no purebred Targaryen anymore. It's all been, you know, washed out over the centuries, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but clearly in George's world, it means something. Having that thread of blood in your veins means something. Even and, if uh, it's not clean, yeah, yeah as you're saying, quote unquote clean. I sound dirty even calling it that. It sounds like some sort of militant yuckiness. <laughs> um, it's important to remember that it's Melisandre that attributes the glamoring being made possible via R'hllor, right? So that may not be completely accurate. You think she is a Mel- tad bit biased. A tad <laughs> bit. She is biased, but also if she's got one... some training elsewhere. You're saying it's not related to R'hllor, it's related to Mel. She's the part that's special. In this case, she's put in the necessary work, and she yeah. talks about in her sample chapter how hard it was to get to that level and the amount of sacrifice that it, that it takes to get to that level where she could perform that. Yeah. Um, and, and another thing that her chapter makes very clear is that she's not – She's not faking it in regards to her devotion to R'hllor. She's fully on board and fully believes and all of that. She's devout. It's and, one of my favorite uh, chapters because it totally, it totally flipped the so game for much, me on her. Yeah, yeah, so much is packed in there. Um, so so she attribute it, attributes it to her god, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be yeah. uh, devoted and devout to R'hllor in order to to pull this off. So all right, shall we move on? We, got more we shall. We've in the glamour. Let's see. Um let's talk about Lord Frey here in this whole story. <laughs> right? 
we haven't talked about him a whole lot, uh, at least in this episode, but he's there. Lord Frey it's is there. Always the phrase. Always the phrase. And oddly enough, he's got his toddler there with him. Um, Dunk walks in at the end of the story. He walks in on Lord Butterwell, who's being punished. As Scad mentioned, he loses a tenth, or he's allowed to keep a tenth of all his possessions and his wealth. But Lord Frey, who was apparently a part of this whole deal as well, is sitting there in Blood Raven's tent with them, um, with wine in his hand, and as Butterwell's sent off, chastised and nine tenths poorer, uh, Blood Raven essentially says, "And you, Frey, will will talk again later." And yeah. it, it's done. So the question I have for you two is, is this another example of the phrase joining the winning side at the last minute? Or what's going on here? Yeah, I don't, I'm not even sure I think the last minute. Um, I, I think it, 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 it echoes a lot, or it actually happened first. So the later thing echoes this uh, in the sense that I think maybe they were playing both sides the whole time. He, they've got the marriage set up, right? So Butterwell marries the Frey daughter. Um, but I think the Freys were also maybe part of the informing party toward, mm-hmm. toward Bloodraven. Uh, maybe the whole time kind of working both sides. And maybe set it up so long in advance, just like you write about in your, uh, in your uh, Red Wedding uh, piece that you did, Matt, that they're very early keeping their options open and very mm-hmm. actively keeping their options open so that they can benefit either way. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't get the sense that it's a last minute thing. I think they, they're, they're playing it for a while. What do you think, Elena? I honestly, I agree. Um, the way the, the phrase have always been a family that thinks ahead. They mm-hmm. think, how can I better my family? They don't think about the other families. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, obviously we've seen in the current novels, Song of Ice and Fire, obviously, and we're, we, as we're reading through with the Duncan Egg novellas, they're always looking out to see how they can make themselves better. And they play both sides. I mean, and once again, it's, it's a wedding. It's another wedding for a Frey, for a Frey <laughs> daughter, point. for a Frey daughter to marry someone to be able to better advance themselves. In this case, honestly, part of me feels like that if the phrase or that if this rebellion essentially had been successful, I feel like that Lord Frey may have tried to have the marriage annulled for his Mm. daughter and try and convince Damon Blackfire (laughs) to take on his own daughter as a queen. Oh, or maybe he's got other daughters, too, (laughs) as, as the current Lord Frey does. Hell if I know. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I like that thought. I think I think they're they're a scheming, devious people, and uh, you know they're pro- they're prepared for lots. It, it's 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 somewhat interesting. I never put this connection together, but that their their whole thing is that they straddle the river, right? Their keep straddles the river with a castle or a foot on each side of the bank. Right, mm-hmm. they're always oh, I love the symbolism. Yeah. yeah, look at me go. They're yeah. always straddling the line, right, to keep themselves available on either either way it goes, just like their keep. 
Look at you go. You know what? You... Squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. You are firing on all <laughs> cylinders tonight, sir. Um, I had a thought. I, I agree with you guys on both of those. I had a thought about him taking his kid with him. That just mm. seems strange to me that Lord Frey, knowing that he's going to this big rebellion kickoff party, why would he bring his kid with them? Yeah. And, and not only that, but I mean, sure, it's a nice Easter egg for the fact that it's Walder Frey. Mm-hmm. It's an Easter for the rest of us. We get to mm-hmm. see him as as a, as a toddler. But he seems to be like the primary caretaker of the child while they're there, too. Like he's always actually holding his own kid. And you think this high up lord, he'd have like a sitter or, or a nanny or something who's taking care of the baby. First of all, I think he'd leave him at home. Yes. But if he did take him to butter to, to White Walls, someone else would be taking care of the kid. He's not going to be holding him in the middle, middle of the wedding party and stuff. And and I can't help but wonder if that if if the symbolism of, of having a child there with him was almost a signal to to Blood Raven and, and the, the Targaryen loyalists that he doesn't intend to fight, right? Mm. That I'm on your guys' side and uh this is why I wouldn't bring a baby to a to a real fight, right? That's interesting. And and I wonder if that was the reason why he's always got his kid kind of there with him. Alternately Sending a message. Alternately, but it kind of works in conjunction as well. It could be just a literary device being used by George to show us how comfortable he is in the situation knowing he's not at risk. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. I'll bring I'll bring my little dude. Yeah. I'm good. Uh, Either way. <laughs> one question I have. Um, I know in this scene, obviously, uh, the heir, Walder Frey, is four years old. Does it mention how old the other Lord Frey, the actual like Frey Lord, is at this point? Because it if does. he is... If he is older, I can see why he would want to have his heir with him at all times. Because mm. at that point, if you're if the only heir you have is four years old, and if he is an older lord, there le- I mean, it leaves a lot of uh, what ifs. Um, and honestly, I mean, with some ki- with I mean, with most parents, they feel their kid is most protected when it's with them. Yeah. Sure. So what you're saying is maybe if he left him at the twin or uh, yeah, back back home um, and it's his only heir, but he's got little brother, Lord Frey's little brother breathing down his neck, wanting to take over. Maybe mm-hmm. little brother oh. makes a move against baby boy Walder. Like he doesn't trust while, his family. Uh, well, he's like... gone at White Walls or something. Yeah. I see. And yeah. Uh... That's actually another theory. I just kind of like thought, of, sat down, sat here and thought of, because uh, Walder in his old age is always very. Uh, he's always convinced uh, someone's, someone's trying, someone's plotting, someone's yeah. trying to get him to die. And he's right. So that, I mean, he is, but. Um, yeah, no, that's. I fair. feel like that would that would make sense if he was raised from a young age, hearing someone is always after the yeah. Lord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come into my castle, or what's the game that they play? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mayhaps. Mayhaps. Yeah. Mayhaps. Uh, Lord of the Crossing, Mayhaps. I think, is what they call that game. That's right. Yes. Lord of the Crossing is what Little and Big Walder play with the Stark kids. Um, I like that. Yeah, but we get precious little information about this Lord Frey. We don't get we get his name or anything. Um, 
All right. What are your guys' headcanons for some of these more minor characters? Let's start with maybe uh, Sir Uthor Underleaf. What do you what do you think what do you think happens to this guy? We don't ever hear from him again. Uh, I think he probably goes on. I, th- so the whole thing with Uthor Underleaf to me is he's got the system gamed, and I think probably mm-hmm. he probably snuck out at some point, gets out of there without too much. Tra- Actually, I don't know. Did they talk about him being in the line? I don't remember. They talk about him kind of being amongst the rest of the hedge knights at the end, but yeah. yeah. I bet he I bet he somehow slithers out and continues his life as a successful tourney knight. I, I he's just he's too good at this system. I think he I think he figures it out. Sets himself up for a nice retirement. And, yeah. Yeah. I know at the end uh Egg convinces Brendan to give the gold to Dunk to be able to Ransom yes. back his uh, his uh, armor and his horse. So I feel mm-hmm. like I, I obviously other is if he's not there, he's close by. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah. he wants his he wants his cash. Yeah, and Dunks, I mean, Dunk of course, just the guy horse. to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and Dunks just the type of guy to to be good on his promise. So yeah, so Uthor just just carries on. Leads a good life, retires comfortably. That's my opinion. Done. Okay. What about Glendon Ball? Ugh. We like old Glenny. I do. I like him. Yeah. I I want. There's no there's no evidence that that uh, he got it, but I'd like to think that he he rose up and got his his white cloak. I don't. Oh, that's mine too. But I I mean I don't know. I didn't even look. I should have looked if we have like there's a nothing. Of, the Kingsguard. Well, but do we have records of the Kingsguard members to exclude the fact that it could happen? We might have that. As far as I don't, you mean like a meaning the we have Kingsguard, a role of the Kingsguard under from Duncan, two hundred to three hundred. We know yeah. who all of them were, and we know he's not one. Which we don't. Yeah, we don't. Could have be that. cool. Yeah. So I'd like to think he gets there somehow. He's an honorable guy. He, you know, he keeps his he he keeps his uh, wits about him. He's clearly skilled. Um, you know, he's on his way to being one of those rare true knights, I think. I like I like Ball a lot. I, I do too. Again, I'll reiterate, I think he's a punk, but <laughs> I think it serves him well in this case. I I think it's it adds to his to his personality and I love that uh you know when when the tide turned on him and he was falsely accused, it said he only hesitated for a split second before his sword was out and he was fighting like this guy knows how to do it. You know, he's he's he'd been tortured for hours and he was still able to get on his horse and get the job done as far as the the trial by combat went. And, uh, you know, it, it would be a fitting end that this guy who who felt his dad was slighted at getting a white cloak then gets his own white yes. cloak. Exactly. Is that how things end in 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 the world of George R. R. Martin? No, things normally don't get tied up that neatly. Not in the world of Ice and Fire, but the world of Duncan Egg is a little nice different. So, which <laughs> one are you working with? You know, I feel like you'd be screwed either way. <laughs> Fine, don't let me have my dream. Later. <laughs> I, I mean, I agree. I feel like it would be very fitting if he he wound up being a member of the King's Guard and gets his white cloak. Um, and I feel like it also it, it it 
brings back to a lot of, or at least a few other of the Kingsguard that I can think of, that they were raised with in poverty, and they're raised at, not as a high lord yeah. or yeah. even a, a minor lord's son that just so happened to become a knight, but they raised themselves up. Yeah, fire, such a fire and blood they, is full of them, right? So many. Yeah. I mean, from the first, the first Kingsguard. Yeah. Or not the first. I'm sorry. Um, I'm thinking about Jaharis's mm-hmm. Kingsguard. Um, I cannot remember the guy's name, but he threatened Baratheon him, himself when he tried to come and like break up the wedding. Yeah. Yeah. There were there were several. I remember there was a, a guy that had something with a spear. He was known for using a spear. That's who uh, I'm talking about. That's I cannot remember about. his name. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, we're gonna get tweet after tweet. I know, I know. I know. Oh, we're gonna get loaded. We do this plenty you guys, of times. We'll back ourselves to, into a corner. I'm about to Google it. Hold up. Give me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> we'll edit it in as if it never happened. We're far exactly. too lazy to Google during our cast. We just let the let the blood writers tell us how wrong we are. <laughs> well, it, honestly, it's one of those things that it's gonna annoy me unless I remember. So yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I apologize. No, um, I'm the same yeah. way. I, I find myself I'm, furiously typing in. Like who is this? <laughs> yeah, it's certainly not unheard of uh, for for people of low station to get there, right? Definitely. It seems to usually take some weird circumstances, like you know, some sort of tournament to prove your valor or something weird. You know, like Dunks, where he happened to be the kids. You know, <laughs> he squired for him, and he happened to become king. But uh, it for sure happens. It's not like a. It's not like it can't be done. Bastards all over the place. So many bastards. Yeah. Yep. Um, this one's a curveball that I told Scat about right before we started recording, so I apologize, Elena. But and I've forgotten. It. No, you're fine. You'll you'll be able to participate just fine. What do you think happened to the uh, to the dragon egg that, that Mr. Rivers stole via the dwarves? I think the dwarves cracked it open and ate it. No. <laughs> Gotta eat. <laughs> uh, Any fun ideas there? I have a fun idea. I don't know how fun it is. Uh, Elena, we have we have a little pet theory uh, that we call Aegon knows, um, <laughs> which implies that that Aegon um, the fifth knows mm-hmm. through his brother Darren's dreams knows that the others are coming, and and actually sent. Blood Raven, as well as Maester Amon, to the Wall, uh, in order to prepare for that for that coming. And how much he knows, we're still working a little bit on the, some of those kinks and stuff. But that he knows enough of, about that. And uh, mm-hmm. this theory about the egg is nothing but fun. But maybe, mm-hmm. maybe he took it north to the Wall with him uh, to to have an egg there to hatch for. The Targaryen that they knew that was going to go to the wall through Darren's dreams. So, Jon Snow. What's that? Jon Snow. Jon Snow. <laughs> so, the idea being that there would be an egg, but but I don't really even really believe that because because the egg would hatch and be you know this tiny little thing and wouldn't be useful, right? Um, unless they thought they had years and years. Maybe they do, but that's my idea. That that when he went north, he took a dragon. He took it with mm-hmm. him because nobody knew about it. He could secret it away, and 
nobody would be missing it and he could just take it with him and have it there for fill in the blank Targaryen yeah because he did it in such a way that even if people after the whole uh, events at White Walls asked about the egg Blood Raven would just be like oh it was stolen it really was stolen I don't I don't know where it is Dunk does. Uh, An egg does, but... Mm-hmm. I know uh, one of the reoccurring uh, tinfoil theories is that there is a dragon under the Winterfell. Uh, yeah. under Winterfell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what if Duncan Egg, whenever they wind up in the north, they took it with them and it it cracked, it mm. hatched and ended up being the dragon under Winterfell. And there it is. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is Crazy one of the be. weirdest passages in the entire series to me. I think it's the very I love end of tinfoil. Game of Thrones when Bran comes out of the castle and they look back and there's dragons above Winterfell. But it, mm-hmm. like the way it's written, it's like they're real, but it's clearly not they're clearly not real. But it's written that way. Um one of the weirdest passages I think in the whole series and one that we are gonna Elena we were talking earlier about the great thing about tinfoil is that you can mold it into any shape you want to mold it into (laughs) oh yeah I I adore tinfoil theories (laughs) that's what's fun about them on that note a a quick thought that I had uh, is that another tinfoil theory out there is that uh, Euron was actually Blood Raven's first recruit right oh yeah and uh we know that Euron apparently paid off the faceless men with a dragon egg, mm. and I wondered if maybe Euron got that egg initially from Bloodraven somehow, and, and that is what he used. Yeah, the idea usually is that he picked it up somehow in his voyages from Valyria, but you're saying, right. oh, no, he could have just got it here. Much easier. I don't know. Interesting idea. Don't have to go as far. No. <laughs> Interesting idea. All right, let's do one more. One more, let's do it. And then we'll call it a night. Awesome. It is late. It is. For our friend Elena, for Elena here. For it's sure. late for me. Oh, yeah. man. I feel bad. It's like Eastern time it. life, man. <laughs> uh, I'm interested in your guys' thoughts on what influence this whole event here at White Walls will have on Egg as a future ruler. Um, maybe what influence also did it have on Bloodraven and his relationship with Egg? Scat asked this question in our notes. Is he almost kind of grooming Egg for leadership, given the the what he's seen Egg do here? Um, what are your guys' thoughts? I asked the question because I wanted you to answer it, Matt. Uh, so too bad I'm hosting <laughs> the episode. So <laughs> suck it. From my part. <laughs> I refused to answer to that demand. Uh, for my part, by refusing, I answered it. Damn it! Uh, I, it, it almost feels to, so. So a, a lot of this story is about the transformation of egg and egg hatching, right? That part of the dream from Damon comes true that that a dragon hatched at White Walls and it was it was egg, right? And mm-hmm. a lot of the story is kind of about that growth, and you see. You see some of that in the way that he treats Butterwell and convinces him that this army is coming just through the power of his conviction and voice and and his confidence. Um, and part of me feels like what what this really did was, um, you know how you like sometimes you look at somebody and you see something, it's just they're that's what they are to you, and then something changes and all of a sudden you see them a little bit differently. That's what I think happened here 
for uh, for Blood Raven with Egg. He sees mm-hmm. Egg differently than he ever mm-hmm. saw him before, and now he th- now he's while while maybe he was just a side a side thought, you know, oh yeah, he's part of the family kind of a thing before. Now I think he's in Blood Raven's brain as part of his plans. How can I use him? How does he benefit right. the family? What can we do with him? That kind of thing. And so I think this story, part of it, is meant to show, okay, this is where Egg took the stage and became part of the plans for Blood Raven. So that's mm-hmm. the influence I think it had. I love that. He, you know, we we already mentioned this quote, but when Dunk says, you know, he's a prince, I, I can't change this guy. And Blood Raven says, no, what he is is a dragon. And uh, you get that you get the sense that Blood Raven believes it at that point. Yeah. No, yeah. definitely. Um, I know uh, uh, Blood Raven is uh, it, he's Egg's like older cousin, correct? Yeah. I'm trying to think yes. like family lines. There's too many of them at this point, um, just because of all the bastards. Yeah. Yeah. It gets real metal real fast. Um. So while they are still technically cousins, Egg is so much, just because of how much younger Egg is from Blood Raven, up until this point, Blood Raven probably sees him as, oh, that's my little cousin, Mager's little cousin, or mm-hmm. a little, little boy. And up until this point, he, he's just that annoying little cousin that tends to pop up in random places, and oh my god, why is he hit round? Yeah. <laughs> However, <laughs> at this point, especially if we are still going with the theory that he is Sir Maynard Plum, which I'm pretty sure we are at this point, um, instead of having that, oh crap, my cousin's here again, he mm-hmm. gets a he he gets to see how the it's travels. Show. Yeah. Yeah. He he gets to see how Egg has grown since he's been traveling with Dunk. He Mm -hmm. gets to see how he holds himself on, I mean, just even on the road itself. And I mean, like you said, even just like the way he held himself and the way he spoke, how convincingly he spoke that his his father was on his way and managed to convince the Lord of the White Walls to turn tail and run, for lack of a better term. Yep. Mm hmm. At this point, he was no longer just that annoying little cousin, and he actually he entered in as a, an act instead of a pawn. He he became a knight. Yeah. In yeah. the Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, eventually, well obviously, a king. Well said. Well, very well said. Yeah. Uh, for Egg, you know, I think how it affected him. Uh, just another step in the education, right? We talked about how he's getting a, an entirely different type of education than most of the princes get. Most of them are at court learning those kinds of things. Um, he's getting his education on the road and learning different things. And uh, I think this was an interesting thing to see him still take those kind of princely steps like we talked about with the Butterwell threatening situation. Uh, but he's still capable of those things even though he's not getting those court lessons. Um, mm-hmm. that, he's, that he's still got that inside of him. Um, so I, I think it was important for him as a growing step of, oh yeah, this is how you deal with nobles, because he's not getting to do it a lot under under the covers, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if this is where he can kind of get those first glimpses of how he would later try to be a ruler, which is 
I can be that guy that that Dunk has has shown me. I can be that guy that that can get down and get his fingernails dirty and stuff. But I can also be, I can also be the king when I need to be the king. And I wonder if these moments early on kind of start to build his confidence and his ability to rule in the style that he feels he needs to rule in. I mean, he was considered basically a king of the people since he was raised with the people. How how old was he when he started traveling with Dunk? Was it eight? I I know he was young. He was like nine-ish. Yeah, because I made that comparison that I've got. A nine-year-old boy, yeah. and that's uh, always an and, odd age for kids. <laughs> and so it was yes. kind of weird for me to to see to compare my boy to what I'm reading about eggs. So I think it was nine. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's the formative years. Like, I mean, you obviously you're you're still young. Obviously, you're learning the most. Your brain is it, it's getting the most information to be able to figure out how you're supposed to live for the rest of your life. So even though he spent the first eight, nine years of his life growing up as a prince, he spent a good chunk of it more living with the people mm-hmm. and learning from the people, which I feel like obviously it, as I said, I mean, it, it formed his, it helped form his brain. It helped form how he treated the, the people, how he treated the small folk. And this is really one of the first real moments we get him showing that while he is a prince, he is also someone that is riding around on a horse and sleeping under the stars for 90% of his life. Yeah. It's one of the comparisons we made earlier in our coverage of Duncan Egg is uh, the comparison of, comparison of egg on to, to, to egg on the sixth. Some people call Fagon. Um, just both kind of raised a little bit in that way, you know, with with the people. Varys has that whole speech about how he, you know, how he grew up differently and learned to serve and things like that. But Eggs experiences even more that because mm-hmm. Fagon was coddled a little bit by all of his handlers. Egg yeah, it was, was kind coddled. of in a, still a very controlled environment, right? Egg was coddled by Dunk, and we see he doesn't really coddle him. Right? <laughs> Some clouts on the ear. <laughs> well, I'm not sure we ever see him cloud him, but the, he never the thre- does. The thread yeah. is there. But it's sweet. It's sweet. Yeah. yeah. It's like when your grandma says, "I'm gonna beat you if I see you do that again." She never actually yeah, does it, but it's always know. it's always leaning in the back of your head, like, "Oh, I could actually get in trouble for this." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right. I think we've arrived at what's turned out to be a very fun episode. Yes, it has. Thank you, Elena, yeah, for joining indeed. us. Thanks so much for having me. I've definitely enjoyed myself. Uh, I love the Duncan Egg novellas, so it was definitely a treat for me. Great. You brought up some points that I don't think our our two simple minds could have ever. (laughs) Oh, you guys think of different stuff that I could never have thought about. So (laughs) most of it is toilet humor. (laughs) (laughs) Be thankful that you don't think of it. Uh... Uh, It's okay. I, I my dad's retired military i've heard basically all of it yeah. okay great <laughs> well versed, well versed. all right well matt should we do our sign off this is matt signing off just reminding you as audio slave said in terms of the Blackfire rebellion the original fire has died and gone but the riot inside moves on i don't know what that means but i'll 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 go ahead and just add chew on it <laughs>
chew on it. <laughs> I'm, I'm chewing. I've got a headache. I'm chewing so hard. Uh, all right. I'm gonna just going to go with a little quote that we had from Uthor that I think Matt mentioned. If you dance with dragons, you must expect to burn. So I advise you all to keep your feet still in the presence of dragons. Well, we can just, we can just end it with saying thank you, Elena, for joining us. And uh, everyone, check out Ice and Fire Con. Please. We'd love to see you. Good night, everybody. Good night, all. Good night. Sir Uther's tent was unremarkable from the outside, but Dunk is surprised to find the interior decorated oh. with mirish carpets, a feather bed, and... Oh, you did. I lost well, you. poo yeah. on that. Right after you said Sir Uther's tent, so maybe you could take it from there. Should. Again, Matt, I just started recording again. Uh, let's see. The whole intro, just do it. I was recording... Oh. But it actually, it can't hurt to, to have another run at it. So Sure, go ahead. Sorry. No worries. Blood Riders, two tracks to make you aware of, to go back and listen to now that the episode is over. First is Two Points for Honesty. That's by Guster off of their album Lost and Gone Forever. Fantastic album. Love it. Uh, the other one is The Original Fire by Audio Slave from their final album that they put together called Revelation. Chris Cornell doing his thing. Gotta love it. Love you guys. Stay savage, you hear? Till next time. Mm-hmm.